welcome to the Operation Move podcast. My name is Zoe and this week we've got part two with Kirsten, uh, which is all about her 100km adventure with Oscars Hut to Hut. So if you haven't had a chance to check out part one, that's just the episode back, you can check that out. Um, and I apologise that it has taken me a little while to get up part two, but over three hours of footage, which has just taken me a little while to, <laughs> to refine into podcast form. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Oh, I had those, those sunglasses and everything arrived the other day on Tuesday, it must have been. And I was like, hmm. This parcel. I wonder where this is from. I haven't even remembered ordering. <laughs> I, I've gotten a few parcels like that over the last week. I'm like, what, what is oh, this? Oh, that's right. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I ordered those uh, Morton gels, so I've been trying them. Mm, are they any good? They are. They take the consistency takes a bit of getting used to because it's not like because it's water based. Oh, it's so it's more a, like yeah. having jelly yeah. than like a gel. And so the yeah. first time I was like, oh, it's, I almost feel like I have to eat this rather than, you know, just chuck it down yeah. the back of my throat. Yeah. But that be, once you're sort of used to that part of it, you don't, doesn't sort of like coat your mouth okay. the way a gel does because of the yeah. water base. Um, yeah. And you don't need to have water with it. So yeah. like I've had, had like a long run where I had, I had carbs in like in water before I started and then I had four of those gels and no stomach upset. That's awesome. So like pretty good in, in that, um, in that respect. I do find them cause they're, they're sort of, I mean like they're obviously sweet cause it's sugar, but they're flavorless. Yeah. Yeah. So it's oh, just okay. sweet. Cool. Um, so there's no, it's just like, no. Yeah. So there's no sort of like, I'm not like a lemonade kind caramel of. Or, you know, like yeah. coffee, green apple or whatever fancy. Yeah. That um, seems disappointing though. <laughs> but so Ooh, I could well, see how <laughs> like in the course of like something that's longer distance, like a marathon, you could yeah. get over the sweetness. I could see. Yeah. But that could also just be because I've had, a month of very limited sugar yeah. and yeah. even like if I like yesterday when I had my workout if it's something like the work part is sort of like 10 to 12 kilometers and I just have one gel in the middle and it's only if I'm having sort of like a longer progression type run that I'll have like it will all be fully carved so I yeah. could possibly just be a bit more sensitized to yeah. how sweet it is um, yeah, but yeah, still like I do tend to get, um, like a little bit crampy or, you know, like with that many gels. So not yeah. having any of that is, um, pretty good. They're a bit more expensive than. I think the, sometimes though you got to, it's worth the money. You know, the spring ones that I've been using, have, yeah, they're more expensive and yeah. <laughs> and then you go through, you know, when you talking seven, 10, 12, whatever hours, you go through so many of them. Yeah. So, um, but they're, they're worth it because the 32K that I did last year um, and I was using those gels and I my stomach was fine the whole way. It wasn't, my stomach wasn't, 
was the issue um, 10 kilometres rather than having an upset stomach. And, and both marathons, it was around the 21K mark that I – or 20, yeah, 21 to 24K mark that I had stomach upset. So, you know, um, yeah, and that's, and that's, you know, if it was in the last 5K, that would be fine, but when it's only halfway, it's um, – a little bit of, you know, you've still got 21K to struggle through. So it was um, really surprising to not actually have that be an issue for four hours, to not have any worries about it. And, yeah, they've never I've had any um, – they've never given me any issues. They are a bit bigger and, they yeah, they're sort of more um, – yeah, it's like a – they're like a bit of pureed food kind of consistency. So they're not for everybody, but um, – but, yeah, I think they're totally worth the, the money but rather than trying to find a, you know, tree to rush and hide behind. To yeah, and once out. you feel like once you have an upset stomach. It's just like so draining. That, it, it's just like it goes downhill very quickly. Yeah, and you very can't, quickly. You can't <laughs> bounce back from it. Like no. even because even like, that happened in Melbourne. And, you know, you're lucky in Melbourne in that there's loads of toilets and you mm. don't even have to do port You can just, like, go into the public toilets and they're, like, right on course. And yeah. even after I did that, it was, like, it was still just yeah. a really unpleasant sort of You just orders. feel all you want to do is just lie down. You don't you, – you, the energy – finding the energy to run is just um, – it's near impossible. But it, and it's such a struggle mentally when you feel like that. You just think, is this going to be – you know, you, and then you start getting wary of sucking down more gels to, you know, is it going to yeah. upset your stomach again? And mind you, you think there's nothing left in there. So I didn't mind. Like the cliff ones I can buy at the supermarket. Yeah, you can buy them at the supermarket now, which is really convenient. And I've, so. like, I've found them uh, quite good. I mean, definitely, like, you kind of need a bit of water. Mm. With They're a bit, they get a bit tacky in the mouth, don't they? Yeah. A bit, the only... But, thing that about the Morton ones that are annoying is I actually find them kind of hard to open. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just, just like, this is a really easy thing. Like, how do you fuck <laughs> this up? Surely <laughs> her ease of use is pretty high up there on your packaging requirements. So. Yeah, and at first I thought, oh, I'm just like tearing it in the wrong way, but yeah, no, it's just it's just a bit hard to get open. So like, That's annoying. You're pelting is. along trying to get your PB and you're trying to open a gel. <laughs> what the fuck? It's, it's like, nah. <laughs> Give me that fucking burrito. <laughs> oh, it's it's so easier sick. to eat that than try and open one of those gels. <laughs> yeah. Oh, funny, funny, funny. That's really hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> How can you screw that up? Seriously. That's yeah. I've sort of fallen into the, the hole of being too frightened to use other gels though like that's yeah. my problem now is that I've they're the ones that I like and then like when we had the drop bag not be at the aid station and they were like well we've got some v fuel ones here and I was like oh I don't want to like I've still got seven hours to go I don't I seriously do not need to develop get GI issues if I'm pushing cutoffs. Like, yeah. I don't want to fuck up. I don't want to fix what's not broken. So, and I don't want to, you know, it was um, a real reluctance. And they're still, they've gone into my gel stash, you know, for just in case anybody wants to try, a, you know, a brand. <laughs> I've got a friend who's, 
you know, curious to try some um, uh, fueling strategies for UTA 22 and um, and I said, oh, I've, I've got these. You can, you know, you can talk about five different brands. You can try all these ones that I've tried and not liked or collected at events and, or gotten for free or whatever and never used. And so I'm going to give her all those. <laughs> but, I was, yeah, I was like, oh, I don't really want to use your gels. I, look, I took a few just in case, but I thought these are my worst-case scenario. I'm stuck and I need fuel and I've got two hours to go and it's yeah. okay you know, if I take this now because I'm not far from, you know, reaching my goals sort of thing. But, yeah, it was like it's a mm, real kind of, oh, I'm not sure how that's going to go with my with my, my poor stomach, you know. And after sucking down gels and cliff bars and all manner of rot on, you know, at aid stations, Coke and lollies and shit, you think, is is there just a is it hanging on by a thread like <laughs> seriously what if I take a gel now you know take a, a, a goo or whatever now am I gonna like your palates you're on the yeah I you mean know, you're almost like, on a knife edge at that yeah. point after and 24 the, hours like you know like yeah. things can like there was this one time where I didn't have any gels or anything in the house and I had like a bigish run and I knew I was going to need something like I knew mm. I couldn't just do it with water and I was like like I could sort of like do some uh like put some you know like car powder in water and leave it at the car and kind of loop around like that was an option I've certainly done that since but on this day I was like it'll be fine I'll just like take one of the kids muesli bars it's all carbs yeah. it'll be fine <laughs> it was such a bad idea <laughs> just you know like you just don't sort of yeah. think about the consistency of like because it wasn't like if it had been one of those things like the one that I did yesterday, I had like two and a half minutes of just standing there in between yeah. reps. And so that's a very yeah, you could have eaten the muesli bar there. Yeah. But when you are kind of like, I must have been jogging recoveries or something like that. Mm. And it's just like, like practically choking. It's so dry. <laughs> it's like, it was bad. But it was also necessary. Like, even like after I'd had like the first half or whatever, it's like, yeah. Still need carbs. I know I still need to eat. <laughs> but I've just got to, you know, like push yeah. through here. Yeah. No, no terrible. Yeah, the things we do. But it's a good lesson though. Like I remember first the first trail run I did um, and I was interested in those, I think they were little ball things and they were, they were um, – more like a whole foodie kind of thing and they were these energy balls or something. I don't remember what they were called. Um, and I had been tempted to buy some and they had them for sale at the event that I was doing and I was um, really curious about them but they were only selling them by the box. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want 50 of them if they taste like shit and they wouldn't let me taste one. And so one of the aid stations, I think one of the last aid stations we came across had them and so I took one. No little things covered in coconut and whatever. And I took a bite, spat it out, and I threw it in the bushes. And also, like, I was coconut like, it was totally the wrong. Makes sense, but not like for fueling because, like, all of that. It's, oh. you know, like you're tr you probably don't have water. To, like, I haven't you know. got enough saliva in my mouth to process yeah. that. Oh, it was, 
oh, so <laughs> that was shit. I would rather eat half a banana. You know, it was just totally the wrong texture, totally the wrong consistency and everything else. It was just horrible. And I just, yeah, I never, I was so glad that I got to try it in a run situation yeah. before I forked out. 20 bucks for a box of this stuff because that would have been great as a snack to have in your handbag or, you know, as you're out shopping or you throw them at the kids in the car or something like that. But as a run snack, no, not for me. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, you know, like I see relatively often like people ask for um, not just in our groups but in other groups like recipes for like protein balls oh yeah and you looking at the ingredients that like people have and i'm like that's a carb ball that's yeah, a carb ball not a protein ball a shit ton of fat in it which is fine and yummy and great for if you need like an like something to kind of like when you are like getting the kids out the door and you're like a couple yeah. of energy balls like a swig of coffee off you go so what we're up to day two just when you thought it was going to get better and it got worse there you are. <laughs> just turn my speaker on my phone. <laughs> no, I can hear you properly. Um, yes. Yeah, so day two, just when I, <laughs> just when I thought things were going to get a little, we, I don't know, I don't know what we thought. It was just, I think we thought that day two was going to be easier than day one, like longer, but not as technical. longer, but not as technical or not as much um, like you could be in a free solo documentary. Yeah. <laughs> we thought, I think because the first, the first day it was um, we had a huge decline, like we had a huge downhill, we had a huge uphill. So we had, we had about, there was a total of 6,000, nearly 6,000 metres elevation gain over the 100 kilometres. Day one was just under 40K and it had 2.5K of that elevation and you know, um, gain and loss in that first day. So we thought kilometre-wise, you know, metres of elevation per kilometre, yeah. day two was going to be a little bit more forgiving. Yeah. And we couldn't have been more wrong. I think <laughs> it was just... Um, you know, we set off. Uh, I think the, the one of the first challenges that we faced was that um, neither of us really knew how we were going to pull up after day one. So getting up and you know having a less than ideal night's sleep, getting up, uh, you know, trying to get ourselves get our gear organised in the dark. Um, having to have all our gear packed away and squared away before we left um, and, you know, even things like, you know, queuing up for the toilet to go to go to the bathroom before we left and there was a girl standing in line eating her breakfast while she was waiting for the for the loo and and I said, oh, why didn't I think to do that? And she goes, oh, it's all right. This is, this is where we lost time last year. So this year I'm multitasking. And I thought, why didn't I? I'm like, I'm... It, until you're there, it would have it never crosses your mind to think that there's going to be 20 people waiting for one toilet. Um, yeah. I need to drink my cup of tea or my coffee or eat my breakfast, you know, um, while I'm waiting in line. 
so um you know luckily breakfast was a non-event but it was um it was you know a clip bar while packing up camp but it was um it was sort of a, a yeah a lesson in itself of what our bodies were going to feel like after a day of, you know, two and a half K of elevation, of elevation and gain, loss and gain and, you know, 40 K, 12 hours of effort and all this sort of stuff and sleeping in less than ideal comfort. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly <laughs> five-star accommodation. It wasn't even call it glamping. You know, it was very um, rough and ready and um, we had, we had taken the bare minimum for personal comfort sort of thing in our drop bags. Um, so we, yeah, we managed to set off and, and took a few kilometres of just getting moving to warm things up a little bit and loosen things up. And it was pretty lucky that the first sort of two and a half K were, were just on fire trail. There was some uphills and things, but it just sort of woke the body up Um reasonably gently I guess compared to what it could have been like yeah. <laughs> um, so it was um and then we turned off you turned off onto the Australian Alpine work walking track W-A-W-T which is not an easy abbreviation to get your mouth around <laughs> um and we spent the next 20 kilometers on there um so the W-A-W-T included uh Gantner's hut um included the crosscut saw and included um uh I think probably about five other smaller peaks that we just basically followed ridge lines along and I think at one point we were rejoicing very early on in the day even before the sun had come up that we were pretty impressed with ourselves because we'd covered seven kilometres in two hours and how awesome were we? <laughs> we were making such great time. And it just it um, it just changes. It changed our perspective on everything. But it was sort of a – there was a nice bit of tra- running. Uh, there was a nice bit of trails there that, that would have been a lovely run had we, you know, been carrying three or four kilos less. Yes. Um, so, yeah, but I think we'd sort of been um, a little bit – scarred by the day before a little bit traumatized by our rock climbing efforts the day before and we'd heard that the crosscut saw was coming up and we'd heard that it was um um long like what we had a little bit like what we'd done the day before but a bit longer um and it was sort of you know we had i think ness and i were busy in our own brains trying to imagine what it was going to be like, trying to get our heads around it and scaring the absolute pants off ourselves in the process because I, I literally had visions of me hugging rocks, making my way along ridge lines, you know, cliff, cliff kind of. <laughs> and I was terrified. And it was um, – and we were coming up on this – following this trail along and, and all of us, and the sun was starting to come up and it was it was beautiful and there was you know the sunrise coming through the clouds and it's silhouetted this mountain and and I could see people you could see the the little silhouette these little you know sort of legs climbing up the, the silhouettes coming up the side of this thing and I and I nearly had a panic attack I thought shit this is this is it this is um this is it I don't what am I going to do I don't I don't know, you know, 
I just who's who's around me sort of I started to sort of go through in my head well um it's okay this is here I've just got to you know um right we can do this together I've just got to keep breathing right there's people up there there's they're walking they're okay um who's behind us there's no one pushing fast yeah. behind us or anything like that and it was very much a matter of just take some deep breaths you can do this you know sort of trying to talk myself through it and and it turns out it was just a steep Bridge line. It was, yeah. you know, it was. But I, it turned. It, it just meant that I spent um, until we actually sort of got to the crosscut saw and found out what we were dealing with. I spent the whole morning on high alert. Yeah, and it was exhausting. Every time it'd be, is it just around here? And I had, you know, read the maps and all this sort of stuff. But I had, in my fatigue, I couldn't remember at what distance in. The crosscut saw yeah. would start, um, and we had a we had a great morning. You know, we sort of I think we'd come to the point where we had um, pretty much given up on trying to run, you know, trying to yeah. run bits or anything like that. We were both pretty tired. We were both pretty sore. Our feet were, you know, sore. Our toenails were sore. We both you know, were pretty fatigued. So it was. Um, and there were some people ahead of who overtook us and started running. And you know what? They never actually made up that much ground yeah. in front of us. So we were sort of like, what's the point? <laughs> Literally, what is the point? You know, we're going to be out here all day running for the next 500 metres. Is, yeah. it, is it worthwhile? No. Not in our... And in most part, part, even if, like, probably not for, like... Um, in one of the trail runs that I did with like uh, like with more elevation, yeah, like probably not so much for the people who are winning, but for people who are kind of like in the middle or mid to back, the hikers were far more efficient than the runners. And so like yeah. I had one where, and so I was kind of like running where I could, and then you know like walking uphill and that kind of thing, and the people who hiked the whole way finished before I did. Yeah, yeah, and they're conserving energy. You know, it's a, it's more of a, um, uh, yeah, it's that that, that consistent effort, yeah. that, that consistent pace, and um, rather than having a sprint and then having to walk yeah. and then having a sprint and then having to walk kind of thing, it was just a, how much more effort do you do we use up trying to run versus let's just maintain an efficient hike. That conserves energy because we've got sixty-three kilometres to cover today. Yeah. You know, it's um, and we've got three and a half k of elevation gain and loss to deal with. Yeah. You know, we just, um, you know, plus we're carrying the fatigue of forty kilometres the day before, so and not nearly enough sleep over the, you know, <laughs> over at least two nights. So it was sort of. Um, um, yeah, there was – we had sort of just seemed to have come to the natural decision that we would just – we would do our best. We would always be pushing. We weren't – we certainly weren't dawdling. Excuse me, but but running was counterproductive yeah. and counterintuitive at that point. So it was um, – um, it was um, – I'm just trying to remember the, the – yeah, I know we got to we got to Gantner's hut at one point, and that was about halfway 
along the section that we were doing of the WT. Um, so it was about 11 kilometres into the morning and um, we probably got there, I don't know, maybe around 9, 9, 9.30 in the morning, I think. And it was a beautiful hut, really gorgeous triangular hut um, with one of those, you know, the roof that comes all the way down to the grass kind of thing, real alpine kind of looking, European alpine looking hut. And it had this fancy toilet. The, the flash loo with the really awesome view and the you had to it was almost a um, obligation to go out to the toilet and um, and and take a photo because it was this beautiful massive big um, drop loo toilet with a you know with a roof and doors and glass this one glass wall that was um, uh, that looked out onto the valley below it and it was really spectacular so you could sort of sit and have a minute and <laughs> do what you had to do but at the same time admiring the fact that you're in a really really beautiful part of the country um and yeah so we were we've actually made really good time to get there we thought and then um I was faffing around a little bit and Ness called me out and she said come on we've got to there's nothing else you can do here. <laughs> You've got to get going. <laughs> You're just wasting time. You're, you're procrastinating. So, um, so yeah, it was sort of, um, yeah, it was, I was terrified. I was really scared about what was, I, you know, obviously we got that far and there was no cross-cut saw and there was just this still this thing hanging over my head and, um, um, and we actually happened to start talking to some people on the way out from, Gantner's hut out towards the crosscut saw and um, it turns out that they are actually coached by the same coach that I am by Aaron and so we took a photo and we had you know once I figured out who they were we you know, took a photo and had a laugh and and got to know these people a little bit better and we actually um, they were really lovely to us later on in the afternoon when we found out that our drop bag hadn't um, stayed at the aid station where it was meant to that afternoon but um I think once we, we, yeah, we, it was just more of the same. I think it was it was a gentler day insofar as there was no huge climbs and no huge descents, but it was just relentless yeah. ridge line climbing. Um, you know, there was there was minimal flat ground anywhere, <laughs> and. You know, the, the crosscuts all, we just felt like we were up there for hours and hours and hours. It was just, um, it was sort of quite steep ridge lines and it was quite rocky and it was quite technical. And, you know, I'm sure people who are much, much better trail runners than I am would run along there with relative ease, but it was a massive challenge for both Ness and I. And it took us three hours to do the three, uh, to do seven kilometres along there. Um, there was rock climbing. <laughs> there was um, there was times when it was all we could do between the two of us. You know, we were both in the same space. I think where we were just focusing on that square meter of ground in front of us, because if we looked elsewhere, the legs would start shaking. You'd yeah. get a bit of vertigo because of how high you were and. Um, things like that and I think not necessarily having a lot of comfort 
with heights. Yeah, I'm not. I, like, I remember at the Blue Mountains, I wasn't running, but I went to the lookout and mm. I was deeply, and that's all fenced. Like, there's yeah. nowhere, to, like, you're not going to fall. And yeah. I was deeply uncomfortable there. It is really, like, yeah. And it was really oh. unsettling to feel that if you stood up, that you felt like you were going to fall down the hill. You know, you having that extra weight on your back and, and already fatigued, very fatigued legs, um, you know, fatigued core and all that sort of thing that it was just, um, it felt really precarious at times. I'm sure it wasn't and isn't to, to many people, but um, for a couple of a couple of people who are not comfortable with heights at all, it was um, it was really really challenging. And there was you know that was the, on the day first day somebody had fallen and hurt themselves on the crosscut saw and had to be chopped out with a broken leg, fractured ribs, and a punctured lung. So it was no it was no picnic. That's for sure. You know we got. Um, we had we happened to come across people at the right time to sort of help us over some big rocks um, and you know where the the rope <laughs> where the rope was to help us clamber over these rocks and um, you know it was and we sort of got to those things and I think given the experience beforehand the experience the day before when we were going up the rocks at the bluff and um, and I'd been either very close to tears or actually in tears at what I'd actually, you know, what we were having to do to, to move forward. And I remember thinking to myself, no, today I'm going to be, you know, I did that yesterday. So today I'm a stronger person and I can, I can manage, I can cope with, with what, you know, what challenges I get um, faced with today because I, I dealt with yesterday and today I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be the strong one. I'm going to make sure that Ness and I are okay. I was like, I'm not going to, you know, that was yesterday was, you know, Ness sort of carried us through and that was fabulous. And I thought, no, today I'm going to, I'm going to be made of stern stuff and, um, and I'm going to face this head on. And it was like, you know, who's going first? And I was sort of threw myself in there thinking to myself, a, I want to get it out of the way as quickly yeah. as possible, and B, I don't want to be the last one through having <laughs> watched, <laughs> having watched other people do it. You know, the anticipation is so much worse than the actual yeah. doing of it that um, that I didn't want to be watching other people doing it and wondering how I was going to manage to get through it myself. So, um, yeah, but there was, you know, there was. We were scrambling down rocks on our backsides. We were climbing up, um, I don't know, wedges in rocks that the, you know, were three or four meters high, and um, we were just—it was just this constant, constant technical terrain that just just seemed to never end. There was a lot of swearing. <laughs> it was, you know, there was chest high tea tree that we were going through and you couldn't see the track in front of you and you're just thinking to yourself please don't stand on a snake please 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 don't let there be any snakes you know it was just a it was every step was like a lesson in trust and yeah. just this leap of faith <laughs> there was nothing hiding under there that was out to cause me harm and um yeah we just we'd see people in the distance, heading over, continuing on the ridge line, you know, hundreds of meters in the in the distance, and we're just like, 
we've got to go up there. <laughs> we've got to go up there, Ness. Like, seriously. Yeah, there was lots of... No, we don't. Yes, we do. Oh, shit. Yes, we do. <laughs> Please tell me the trail doesn't go that way. Yeah, it goes that way. Okay. So it was just this, it was just um, the, the, oh, the monotony of what we were doing for hours on end. It was so exhausting, just so exhausting. And it was, um, and it's really wearing on your, on your, you know, your state of mind and your positivity and, um you know, it's like this is not fun. This to me, this this is not fun. But I literally have no choice. I don't. I can't go back because that's that's twenty k in the wrong direction. I literally can't go back because I'm not going back. That I don't want to have to do that again. Like I can't. I, the only choice is to continue on. Um, and it was really. Um, and that was really tough. And also knowing that there was, you know, still more, um, there was still more challenges to come. Um, you know, you sort of, but it, it very much, I guess it was a real lesson in mindfulness and being present in what you're doing because you just, um, you couldn't afford to be distracted by, by stuff. You know, every time we, you get distracted, you trip over, you'd fall over, you'd misstep, you'd, you know, lose your balance or whatever. So it was, um, yeah, there was trying to stay focused, that focused for hours and hours on end was just incredibly fatiguing. And also trying to look, keep, you know, keep your mind on the fact that we were looking out for each other. Um, you know, have you eaten? How's your stomach feeling? Ness had started the day with a less than ideal stomach. Um, she wasn't very hungry. She's feeling it was feeling a little unsettled, so she was being really cautious with food. But I was, you know, just trying to make sure that she was staying, um, that she was keeping up with taking on nutrition and and that she was drinking enough and monitoring how much I was drinking. And you know, she was checking in with me. You know, we'd be like, "Oh, have you eaten lately? Do you need to eat more?" Um, you know, oh, it's you know, let's stop for you know, let's get a gel out or, you know, whatever. There was a lot of faffing around on that section because it was poles away, because it was so technical and you needed both hands to grab hold of rocks to lower yourself down or lift yourself up. So there was, you know, um, putting poles away, there was getting poles out, there was, you know, trying to, um, um, you know, I don't know, just replacing water bottles and things because, you know, you have the two on the front of your pack and then you empty one of those so you'd replace it with a fresh one and but that was stored in the back of your pack and you know all this sort of stuff so there was a lot of um logistics yeah yeah it was just you know yeah personal organizational nightmare <laughs> kind of thing but it was and it was um but we weren't moving fast anyway so it wasn't we didn't I didn't feel like that held us up yeah at all um the thing that held us up was the fact that it was just incredibly technical terrain and looking at other people's Strava segments, um, it um, we weren't the only ones who took that long up there. So it was, you know, um, it was not um, certainly not an anomaly for us to be taking three hours to cover this 7K. It was incredibly 
difficult. But um, and then there was yeah, there was somebody got married up there, so we sort of had come along this crosscut saw, which is basically this you know beautiful ridge line that that and series of of mountains. Um, one of there's one called Mount Buggery, and then next one on is called Mount Speculation. And at the top of Mount Speculation, this couple who participated in the event, they got married. Um, and they, they were fast enough hikers and runners. They were competing separately. They were um, one girl was with her friends, and the 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 bride was with her two friends, and um, the groom was competing as a solo um, uh, runner. So, um, so yeah, they were fast enough to have gotten to Mount Speculation. She put her makeup on and her veil, and she had a bouquet and everything. And she met some of her family members at the top, and they had a they had a celebrant and everything. And um, and then so they stopped. We the, the they were exchanging their vows when we passed them. <laughs> we didn't stop. <laughs> Sorry, I'd love to stay. There was an open invitation for anybody to stop and attend. That was, you know, fine. But then uh, we didn't stop. But then later on, a few hours, you know, oh, probably three or four hours later, they overtook us. The bride and her two friends overtook us later on. They were, they were hiking, but they were hiking so, so fast. It was, um, oh, yeah. That's the way they cut down on you. Invite this, isn't it? To be on top of a mountain. If you can't get up here, we'll see if we can get down. That's fine. How to stop all the people you don't want to be at your wedding. Tending. But it was um, uh, it was it was really lovely and and. Uh, one of the event photographers was up there and he took some beautiful photos um, of the bride and groom and their, their little ceremony. And it was beautiful, beautiful weather for it. It was just gorgeous. And, um, yeah, then we had, um, we came across there was sort of the um, Mount Speculation Car Park was the next um, aid station after that. And there was these, um, we'd always, we spent, only enough time at the aid stations to actually do what was necessary. Now, all the volunteers were amazing and, you know, they'd fill up water bottles and they'd make you a sandwich and all this sort of stuff and get you anything that you needed. Um, but there'd be people there having sit-downs on rocks and, you know, shoes off and tending to feed and packs off and all this sort of stuff. And um, like they had the day before at various aid stations and we sort of thought, well, that's just, you know, we might be slower in the moving part of it, so let's not waste too much time unnecessarily at aid stations. Let's be let's be efficient. Let's do what we need to do, but let's not linger. Yeah, I'd be a bit concerned about like once you sit down and take your shoes off, it's hard work to get back, <laughs> get yourself back upright. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Like it was. Um, you know, every minute that you stay there, it's harder to leave. I think. You know, it's um, and we sort of so we would spend, I don't know, maybe five or ten minutes there, um, but then we just push on. You know, have a coat, grab some lollies, get our water bottles refilled, have a sandwich if you know there was a sandwich on offer, and go and eat while we were walking. You know, there were, um, I guess yeah, what we were lacking in speed, we felt we had to make up for in being efficient and, and just moving, you know, um, 
as much as possible. And we sort of, we come across, we, we left there and there was a stretch of fire road that we um, were hiking along. And we, that was probably one of the most runnable sections of the course, but you're also 60 kilometres in to the whole thing by this stage and pretty tired. <laughs> and the pack's starting to, you know, leave marks on your shoulders and it's starting to be really quite fatigued. You, you know, you're feeling more and more fatigued, obviously, the, the more you go on. But I, there was a um, – I saw a snake at that point, I think, and I, my um, natural reaction was to sprint in the opposite direction of the snake <laughs> towards nest. So it was, <laughs> it was quite refreshing to actually move the legs in a different – way yeah <laughs> um, and to realize that yeah I was 60 odd kilometers into it and I could still I could still get a decent pace up for a few minutes <laughs> no, snake wasn't too impressed I don't know what sort of snake it was but it was um I don't think there's very many sorts of snakes that live in the alpine region because the temperatures are not you know during winter yeah. it's so cold up there I don't know. But, we, you know, we were overtaking people hiking up. There were some people who looked really hard done by, you know, sort of between 60 and 65 k's um, into it. So, yeah, we were sort of um, – we were just moving – we were pushing as fast as we could, you know, hiking as fast as we could sort of thing um, while we could and um, – yeah, and then we had one more. We had one more little obstacle to overcome before we got up to the King Valley Hut, which was the aid station at seventy-three kilometres or seventy, whatever it was, seventy-three kilometres in. And it was called this thing called Muesli Spur, and the Muesli Spur is this one-point-six kilometre long descent which drops um, four or five hundred metres in elevation over a mile, and it was incredibly steep um and it was um thank goodness it wasn't muddy and wet mm. because it would have been with any you know any more than a female rain and it would have been a river it was yeah. just um it was quite funny we had to have a chuckle that some blokes had come up behind us at the beginning of Muesli Spur and, and they we sort of said, oh, you know, do you want to go past? And they said, no, 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 we're good here. Old mate's got a gummy knee. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, we're pretty slow, so you guys go in front and you can you can just, you know, clear away a few of the rocks for us on your, on your way past. And we never saw them again. Um, <laughs> we never caught up. Oh mate, with his sticky neck. So it was. Um, we had a chuckle about that later on. I think they may have camped the night at King Valley Hut, but we certainly never saw them on the descent after, <laughs> after they overtook us. So we were. Um, I think it's yeah, it's highlighted that descents are certainly an area that I need to work on the technical, really technical descents. But we were just we were on our hands and bums going down this. You know um, this hill at times the, the spur you know there was you put your hands down and you get a handful of prickles you had prickles all through your all through your pants there was I felt sorry for the people who were wearing shorts because they would have ended up with a whole bucket load of dirt in there yeah. yes. it was yeah. just it was sliding it was there was 
there was just so slippery and um, loose sort of dirt that it was, you know, we certainly weren't the only ones going down on our backside. Lots of people had meltdowns going down that hill. It was really full on. Um, and it took us, I think, for the 1.6K, it probably took us almost an hour mm-hmm. to get down there, better part, 45 minutes to an hour to get down there. It was just so technical. At one point we came, these young, guy, young guys came up behind us, they'd, you know, come and overtaken us and um, we were chatting to them for a few minutes and it was, um, it was his first trail run. Ever. Ever. It's a doozy to pick. Yeah. So he'd run uh, a few half marathons, I think, the story was, on road. And, yeah, this was his first trail run. I thought I was stupid doing it as my first 100K. But at that point I realised that I was probably not quite as crazy as some of the people out there. But that was funny. And there were blackberries. We stopped and ate some blackberries. Like they were, we were sliding down the hill on our asses and, and we're like, oh, hey, there's blackberries. Oh, let's try, try one. And they were the most beautiful, refreshing, uh, just the, you know, cl- palate cleansing. Oh, they were lovely. It was just this tiny, this tiny little glimmer of, um, I don't know, this little, it was like a patch of light in an otherwise very dark time that there were these beautiful wild fresh raspberries, you know, blackberries um, growing on the on the rock, you know, going down. But, yeah, it was just so hard. And I think there was many, many times when both Ness and I are like, bugger this, this is, we want out. <laughs> we weren't enjoying ourselves before. We are not enjoying ourselves now. But, you know, once it once it passed, it was um, it was okay. But it's just, I guess it's a like it's just such a huge lesson in managing your anxiety and managing your stress and thinking to yourself, well, I don't have much choice. Like it's you know, like it's so many um, uh, parallels for parenting. You know, when you've come across struggles with your kids, and it's like this is this is just too hard. I can't do this, and then you think to yourself. I actually don't have a choice. I'm going to have to try and think clearly and try and come up with a plan and I just don't have a choice. I have to push through and I have to find a way to find a solution, you know, a way forward for me and my kids. And it was just, um, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, there was lots of struggles like that throughout it. But um, had a support crew and their support crew had come to them because they which is what we had expected to be able to do that all of a sudden the goalposts had changed and we were um, we were looking at some serious cutoffs and um, so we sort of came into the aid station and we were um, we were still talking about pushing through and you know seeing how far we could get that night. And then um, I think I remember taking Ness's water bottles, taking her flasks off her, and she went to go and find our drop bag um, because we were both fantasising about soda water at this stage. We wanted something. (laughs) She puts a couple of cans of soda water in our drop bag and we were fantasising about clean socks and um, soda water and 
lolly snakes or red frogs or something. I don't, who knows, I don't know, something was in there that we were after. And there was, she'd come back to the water station where I was getting all our water bottles filled and she said, it's, it's gone. The, the, the drop bag's been taken away. It left half an hour ago on the back of a full drive. And so we had no, we had no gels to replenish. We had no electrolytes to replenish. We had no um, no soda water. <laughs> um, we had no um, what else did we have? No warm clothes. No like, like our fleeces had been taken in the bags. We'd had um, um, you know any comfort items that we'd had in that bag. If we'd stayed the night. You know, we were sleeping in the clothes that we were wearing. We had no changes of underpants or, you know, sports bras or socks or anything other than what we were carrying in our packs. So, um, and then at that point, I think we saw um, Ness had seen Sorel and Tina, these other two ladies that we'd been talking to at their campsite the night before. Um, and she knew them from previous events. I think she maybe six foot track or she knew Tina from track or something like that. Anyway, they wanted to know if we were pushing on to the finish line um, with this new news that if we didn't make it, that we would get a DNF. And I think instead of having the drop bag push us over in the we can't continue, you know, to the we can't continue side of things, it pushed me towards the, well, I'm not fucking staying here. <laughs> so, you know, like it was, um, yeah, instead of being a, a demotivator, it was a, well, that's it. I'm not stopping. I'm not staying. What's the point? Yeah. I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be smelly. I'm going to be, what's the point? Tomorrow's going to be, I'm going to be pissed off tomorrow. I'm going to be miserable because, you know, um, because I haven't got my drop bag, I haven't got my coffee, you know, <laughs> I, haven't got, I haven't got, I haven't got, you know, all these things that I don't have with me instead of being this thing that, that shut me down, it was a thing that lit the fire to push me to keep going. Um, and Ness and I had a super quick powwow that lasted about 20 seconds, which went along the lines of, are we staying or are we going? And my exact words, <laughs> not fucking <not> staying here. <laughs> right? And that was the extent of it. She, you know, they, we'd sort of, we'd been hoarding, I'd been shoving watermelon into my face and drinking um, Coke and all this stuff while they're filling up water bottles and we're having this little, we spent, we literally spent 16 minutes, 17 minutes at that aid station. We walked in there at 13 minutes past four and we left at half past four. And in that time, we, you know, we, we hooked up with Tina and Sorrell. They said, are you going? And we said, yep. <laughs> said, right, we're coming with you. And we, we, yeah, we had seven and a half hours to do 30 kilometres, 30, 30 kilometres. Um, and, yeah, we just, we literally had no idea if we were going to make it. It was. Um, yeah, that does seem pretty tight. Considering that we were doing seven kilometres in two hours yeah. on relatively flat, like relatively non-technical um, 
and that we were hiking, yeah, and there was still a fair bit of climbing to go. Um, but we knew that the aid station people had said that tomorrow morning everybody had to be gone by five, like people would be released at 5 a.m. and everybody had to leave at 5 a.m. There was no you could leave at 6 or, you yeah. know, everybody was going, you had to be ready for 5 a.m. to be released from the campsite. And you had seven hours to do the 30 kilometres. So she said, actually, you've got an extra half hour tonight. Yeah. If you do it tonight, you've got extra time. And um, and it was just a very quick, you know, sort of evaluation in our minds, I think, of how do we get up and do this again tomorrow, you know? How do we how do we take two days cumulative fatigue and do 30k in seven hours tomorrow, which felt like a tighter cut off than what we were faced with that afternoon? Yeah, I guess. So, um, and there was very much a, we are not doing this again tomorrow morning vibe <laughs> coming from both Ness and I. It was just no. Nah. And so these lovely people, Seth and and Mez had come over and they said, are you staying or are you going? Because they had been, they'd been going to push on as well. And then I think having their support crew there and, I, and Mez had also heard her, she had a bit of a knee problem as well. So they decided to rest and we've just turned around and said, well, we're going, but none of our gear's here. So we've got, we've got nothing. And next thing you know, they've offered us food and water and sandwiches and, soda water and all this sort of stuff and they've just, you know, anything, you know, people just trying to throw food at us to try and help us to restock, which was just so lovely. Um, and we've, we have left the aid station at a run after, you know, 15 minutes in the aid station from finding out that our gear wasn't there to running out of there and I'm still trying to, put bananas in my pack and apples in my pack and, you know, like I ended up ditching the banana at a later aid station and the <laughs> apple, I think the apple never got eaten, but I was like, I don't I don't even, I was like doomsday prepping. <laughs> like I've still got seven hours and I'm hungry. Like I was really hungry by then. Yeah, with, um, you know, you're in calorie deficit from the day before, you or you know, so you're just digging yourself deeper and deeper into this hole. There's literally not enough food that you could eat and stomach more to the point to fill that, you know, to to, to even try and um, fill that hole. And it was, and I just thought, I'm just, you know, I'm not even going to get any dinner tonight. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be eating muesli bars for the rest of the goddamn day. I need some food. Like, I needed, I felt like I needed something crunchy. And and so we've run out of there. Everyone's clapping for us and cheering for us. Like, <laughs> go, girls. There's four of us. And I'm like, shit, I hope they're not going to make me run. <laughs> because I can't run through. Yeah, and because I hadn't, I didn't know Tina and Sorel other than from the hour and a half that we'd spent talking to them the night before, and I'm, they were, you know, they're ultra running veteran kind of, you know, they're a lot more experienced at this taper than I am, and I'm thinking far out, I'm not going to make me run very far, um, and then about I don't know 100 metres out of camp we stop because there's a river, <laughs> we have to cross this river. 
and I'm still trying to stuff my phone into a plastic bag and I've got lollies in my pocket and I'm like, my lollies are going to get wet and my phone's going to get wet. And somebody told us that the river was waist high and we're walking through this river that's barely up to, you know, mid-calf. <laughs> Who did they put through this river as a height gauge? <laughs> a five-year-old, you know, this is, it was just comical almost and I'm like waving around I've got my poles under my arm and I've got a half-eaten Vegemite sandwich in my hand and soda water and you know all this sort of stuff and I'm just I must have looked like literally like the picnic on the run because <laughs> I felt stupid I felt it felt really comical at the time and I and quite disbelieving like this what we were doing I, yeah it seemed really surreal and of course we've crossed the river and we've gone straight uphill. So there are all these, I had made plans in my head that I was going to cross that river and I was going to sit down and I was going to change my socks. I had dry socks in my pack for this river crossing that I knew was going to happen. And I was worried I was going to end up with a blister. So I was going, no, I'm going to dry my feet. And I'm going to, and of course, none of that. Straight out of the river, straight up three kilometres of hill um, of this disused um now closed full drive track so it was super steep and it was just a matter of head down bum up and Tina and Sorrel were in front of us they were leading and I was just all I could think of in my head was just stay on her heels just stay I just tucked myself right in behind Sorrel who's she's you know half a foot taller than me and she's she's got legs that climb real fast and I was like I'm just, I'm not going to lose sight of her heels, uh, her feet out of my, my, you know, vision. And Ness was behind me and I could tell she was struggling a little bit and I kept just turning around. I didn't have the breath to talk to her, you know. I was just, check, she's still there, check, she's still there. If I wasn't, you know, there was just... Um, and she said later on that she was she was behind and she was just thinking we've made the wrong decision. What are we doing? We've, we should we we need to turn around and go back. You know, um, we're not we're never going to make this kind of thing. Nothing. Perhaps she was in a bit of a hole at that point, and um, but she did an incredible job um, to push through. And I, you know, we we between the four of us, we um, we made a much stronger team than what we had in as two separate teams of two. Um, and we got up that hill, we did that three-kilometre climb in 45 minutes, which was incredible, dripping, just dripping with sweat and blowing like steam trains. And there was just, there was no talking. There was yeah. just, you know, there was every now and again there was check-ins, everyone all right, everyone all right. Like we didn't. There was no food. There was no, like, you'd, I'd sip on water and whatnot to, you know, because you're just breathing so heavily. But it wasn't until we got to the top of that 3K climb that we sort of were able to stop and say, hang on, I never got to go to the toilet at that aid station. I'm just going to duck into the, you know, need a wee stop, need a wee stop, need a wee stop. And it was just, and have something to eat. We shared a bag of lollies and refueled and, and everything and we just, we, yeah, I don't think anybody, the only time anybody stopped walking was to drop their dats in the bushes and go, and go for a wee or something. It was just, 
push, push, push. And, um, and it just seemed, yeah, everything just seemed to take so long, I think, at that point. You know, we were when you're racing against the clock, you feel like you're going nowhere. You know, you yeah. feel like you're walking in mud. You know, you could, there was just, we couldn't move fast enough. And we had, you know, each of us sort of had different strengths. So Ness and Tina were really quick on the downhills and Sorel and I were pushing harder on the uphills. And so we'd sort of um, able to, you know, they were setting the pace on the downhills and Sorel and I were sort of setting the pace on the uphills and it was... Um, rather than moving at the pace of the slowest person, it was trying to work in the opposite of um, the people who at the back need to <laughs> need to maintain X amount of pace because otherwise we're not going to make it. Yeah, you know, it was um, and everybody, all the aid station volunteers were fantastic. They were all like, "You've got this. You just maintain this pace. You've got this." And it was it just, but at the same time, like. You know, two hours in, you've, you've still got five hours to go from this, you know, we've, we've chipped off maybe eight or nine K of this 30 kilometres. And so, oh, you know, it was exhausting enough maintaining that pace for two hours, let alone to think I've got to maintain this pace for another five. You know, yeah. it's just, it was really tough. And, uh, and it was fire road stuff, predominantly fire road for a lot of that 30 K. So it was quite steep you know, the fall drives, you know, usually the trails, the foot trails sort of wind a little bit and they, they might sometimes take an easier route with a little bit less <laughs> elevation loss or, you know, per kilometre or whatever, but the fire trails just bomb straight down and they climb straight up and it's, you know, it's, it's unforgiving. Um, and Tina at one point just came over real grey and she just, she, she really just, bottomed out she um she really hit the wall and I was so we sort of um you know we were trying to um help her along um and then we you know that was coming up to the uh, second to last aid station I think and the um the volunteers there were amazing and they, yeah she sculled half a cup of coke and she let out the most enormous and it was just this she just I think she came good in about three minutes she was God, she decompressed decompressed her stomach and and got a sugar hit and a bit of caffeine and it was just but she was on the verge of you know she was crying at one point we were saying give us your pack you know we'll take it in turns and carry it for five minutes each to lighten your load so you can just regroup and she was clutching it to her chest and no, don't take it, don't take it, sort of thing. She was just, she, I think she felt at that point that she was not going to finish mm. um, and she was going to go down fighting. But it was, um, um, you know, at one point I put myself behind her because I thought if she falls backwards, I'm going to catch her. <laughs> I'm not going to let her fall. You know, I just thought I'm going to be just right, I put myself right behind her to think, that if I saw her slip or if she t started to topple backwards, that I would just, I don't know, force her forwards or something. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what I thought I was going to do. But um, it was all I could think of to try and, you know, help her um, up this hill. But it was um, it was, um, it was was crazy, that just that 
that um, that last push was just constant for seven hours. You know, we stopped minimal time at the aid stations that were there. It was um, refill water, have a you know have a cup of coke, and then I think the longest we spent was at one where we got our head torches out of our packs, knowing that it was easier to do it, you know, an hour before sunset. Yeah. Get our merino layer out in case it got cold before the sun went down. And um, not that we ever needed to put that merino layer on because it it never cooled down. <laughs> we were incredibly lucky. It was just it never got cold. You know, we, the sun went down, and I'm expecting it. You know, I'm like, oh, once the sun goes down, we're all, oh, it's going to get really cold. It's going to get really cold, and we're in t-shirts and you know. Not even, you know, we're not. We weren't moving at a, a speed that was fast enough to create much body heat. Mm. But uh, yeah, we were just incredibly lucky with the weather. There was no breeze, and there was no, you know, it didn't. It, you know, it, considering it had snowed up there earlier in the week, we were just so fortunate. Um, and I think like the highlight of that evening, apart from spending it with you know, as a group of four, it was when the sun set um, and we come up the crest of Mount Sterling and you could see Mount Buller in the distance. And I posted a photo of it the other day that one of the course photographers had taken because there, there was Mount Buller in the, in the uh, long distance and Mount Buller's got quite a um, – the top of it's quite rounded and it's and because of the can on it, if you're close enough, it kind of looks like a breast with a nipple. <laughs> it was, um, you know, and then sun set, the, the sun came through the clouds. There was a whole bunch of clouds over the mountain and, and there was a break in the clouds and the sunset was just like a spotlight on the um, summit of Mount Buller. And it just lit up, um, it lit up this, um, the silhouette like it was a beacon it was just and we you know we could see how far it was you know it was so close it was the closest it had been since you know 10 o'clock the day before in the morning sort of thing and because and because the, the route was circular you could always sort of just if you were up high enough you could look and see in the distance well this is where we that's where we started this is where we you know, we went down here and we came around there and, oh, and that's where we've got to go tomorrow kind of thing. But to be able to see it and to have it maybe 15 kilometres away mm. and to see it in the distance and just lit up so beautifully by the sunset, it was um, so spectacular. And this photographer um, took, a, he took a picture of us taking a selfie <laughs> with the mountain in the background and... Um, and then we, you know, we sort of did poles up and, and all this sort of stuff. And he took a beautiful photo and it's got Mount Buller in the background. And um, and I think it just, it was just another thing that helped light a fire on, in our bellies and just, you know, make us push even harder. And then I think I sent up a little prayer at one stage of thanks to the mountain bikers out there because we spent about, I don't know, Distance doesn't really mean anything because it was dark, but we spent probably two hours on following a mountain bike trail 
and they're so beautifully groomed and so beautifully <laughs> kept. It was just, um, you know, and given that it was dark and, you know, we were relying on our head torches and things like that, and we were so fatigued and, you know, the, the, our feet were so sore, our toes were so sore that we'd kick a rock and it would just about bring tears to your eyes and, you know, you'd trip so easily that it was like a godsend that, um, that the trails were just so beautifully groomed and so beautifully taken care of that that the trip hazards were minimal and the you know there was we'd spent the better part of two days climbing over fallen trees and you know like I kid you not hundreds of fallen trees that we had to climb over of various size and height and everything else and it was just so lovely just to focus on walking you know walking as fast as we could that we didn't have to worry about Oh God, there's another tree here that we have to climb over. Um, and it was, um, you know, there was, yeah, it was just. Um, and then when you came up, and yeah, there was a, a point where we came to an intersection, and to go right, you could see we were right going right past the village, the ski village at Mount Buller, and we knew that we were nowhere near the um, finish line yet, and that we had to still summit Mount Buller. And it was just this incredible tease to. Um, so close. Pretty horrifying. It was horrible. It was torturous. And it's like, well, you could go up this tiny little hill right here where you can see the lights almost and you can hear the cheering and, you know, hear the finish line. But actually you've got to go 5K that way, up another hill <laughs> and up another hill <laughs> and up another hill. So basically, yeah, we went, you know, we went within spitting distance of the, the finish line, but then we had to actually follow um, this trail around to get to the summit of Mount Buller and, and we had to summit Buller again. And it was, I think, by that stage it was actually easier to walk uphill than it was to walk downhill. Um, muscle fatigue and, you know, quads were so sore and our hips were so sore, our ITBs were so cranky. and um, But we got to the top of Buller and there's these sort of stone steps that go up to the can at the top and we had to get a page out of a book and the page of the book was called, um, what was it called, um, Panic Room or something. (laughs) (laughs) So you had to get the page out of the, you had to rip a page out of the book that corresponded with your bib number, you know, sort of Barclays-esque kind of. Very Barclays-esque statistic stuff and it was um and it was windy at the top of course because you know it's a mountain so it was windy at the top of the mountain and I, was, I sat down to get the book and find the pages and tear them out and get give them to people and it was um because I was worried I was going to drop something if I um if I stood up to do it and I couldn't I nearly couldn't stand up again <laughs> and I like I had to it took it took me a good sort of thirty minute thirty seconds to help, you know, a minute sort of thing to be able to actually get up from this sort of semi crouched position and actually stand up and and um and start moving again. But and then we had to walk downhill to the finish line and it was just we knew that and it was still two and a half days from to the finish line from the summit. Um and we were just exhausted by that stage. It was just, I was terrified I was going to fall off one of these stairs at the 
top of the hill, you know, the top of Mount Buller, I'd be well, I've hiked 99 kilometres to fall and break something two and a half K from the finish line. <laughs> it's just, you know, you're just so fatigued. It's so tired. It's, it's dark. It's, you know, you're in a hurry to finish and all this sort of stuff, but it was sort of a lesson in patience of just take it step by step. Just you've got a job to do, you know, don't make a mess of it now. Don't, don't break anything just now. Um, but it was, um, and then there we got down, we, we had to follow the, the trail back down, which, and it was, it turns out it was, I had no, it, it didn't look anything like it had the, the morning before. I had no recollection of the morning before being on this same trail going in the opposite direction. I was like, this is a different way. And the girl's like, no, there's the ribbons over there. We're totally in the right place. I'm sure that we didn't come this way. You said, well, yes, we did. I remember that bench. I remember that intersection. And I was like, oh, okay. I must have had my head stuck up my ass yesterday morning because I couldn't remember any of it. Um, but once we got onto the bitumen road that was in the village and we were walking past our accommodation and everything and I just I couldn't stop crying at that point like it it wasn't until that point of like 101k into it that I actually let myself um believe that I was going to finish you know it was there was just so many the risk of injuring myself the risk of having to pull out because of um you know your stomach going south or you know just physically not being able to continue or the risk of the DNF for those last few hours, you know, it was just, oh, I cried. I just sobbed all the way down to the finish line. And it was, and then, yeah, we ran across, we ran across the little quadrangle thing and the, the plaza and, and we ran across the finish line and it was just, um, and Sarah was there waiting for us and the race directors were there waiting for us and the, um, yeah, it was just, um, oh yeah, I don't think I've cried so much for for a, you know finishing a run ever. And I bawled after my first fifty k last year at Kosciuszko. Um, You know, I was just, um, yeah, it's just, God, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. It was, you know, it was hugs all round. It was just. Um, one of those moments that was just we were just overjoyed to finish and so relieved to um, to finish. Um, and I'll tell you what, hugs from strange from strangers have never felt so comforting. <laughs> you know, these two these race directors have come out and they've you know these two guys have come out and they've offered these hugs and it was just the relief. You know, I've never never really thought I'd be the kind to kind of person to to throw around hugs at strange men but it was mostly it was almost a matter of I don't want to you know you just you don't care you just don't care (laughs) how much how much time did you have up your sleeve when you finished 25 minutes (laughs) so we were um you know probably a kilometer kilometer and a half in 25 minutes at that you know, up there at that time of night that we had, that was about, yeah, we were the last ones for that night to come across the finish line. 
so um, yeah, I think it was um, it was yeah it was eleven thirty five that night, and we had till midnight. Yeah, it was pretty close. Um, I guess when you come down to you know it's um, uh, when you think about how fast you can move after that distance and after that elevation and you know like the I've still got bruising on my back from my pack mm. you know of the amount of discomfort that the four of between the four of us that we were in you know if we have if somebody had said you have to run or you're going to DNF we probably would have found it somewhere in there to do our best but yeah it, there it comes a time when walking is maximum effort. It was. It was pretty much <laughs> maximum effort. It was, yeah. And that, you know, the, the 50 metres or 60 metres that we ran to run across the, to you know, to get across the finish line at a run, it felt refreshing at first just to move <laughs> your legs in a different way, you yeah. know. Um, but it wouldn't have lasted much longer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we probably would. I would have had maybe another fifty meters in those legs before they went. Nah, this bucks just no, as much you. as Rutten does. <laughs> so yeah, and it was just. Yeah, but they were amazing. They had a fabulous um, medical crew on standby at the finish line. They inspected everybody's feet. They had blankets for people. They had hot drinks if we wanted them. They. Um, had massage, a few of massage, and you know they were super curious about toenails and all this sort of stuff. And it was just, um, yeah, it was it was so, it was just um, really well supported from that point of view. But yeah, it was, uh, and I think, um, but actually, yeah, I felt really, I don't know, I felt really traumatized by it for the first couple of days afterwards. Um, and I think it would have been lovely to have a bit of time to, um, like we had to leave the next morning, yeah. you know, on the Sunday morning. So we were having third breakfast by half past 11 down in Mansfield the next morning. Um, we'd had breakfast in our room at the hostel accommodation and then we found some jackals down at the finish line and coffees and um, and then we about an hour and a half later we needed another breakfast and yeah so I was yeah we had I had seven hour drive ahead of me and Ness had a nine hour drive ahead of her so we shared that to Aubrey but and we had a bit of an opportunity to talk I think and talk our way you know debrief a little bit about it but it was um, yeah it was almost um, Quite a traumatic experience, you know. <laughs> did you have any times in there where you were both at low points at the same time, or did you mostly sort of rotate? I think um, I think the the bits that we found challenging that we both found challenging as far as the rock climbing, you know, that first bit of uh, the, the second bit of rock climbing that we had to do when we were at the top of the bluff and we were sort of we just climbed that big hill and, you know, we were both pretty drained physically and, and mentally at that point. And then to face this thing, which we hadn't 
neither of us had signed up for it. Like that wasn't, we both read the course description. There was no, there was nothing in the course description about climbing over, clambering over these rocks. Um, and we were both at a pretty low point then, I think. Um, neither of us were really impressed <laughs> with what we had to do. Um, but Ness, uh, I think Ness managed to pull herself out of it faster than I did, that's for sure. Um, I think I would have sat there and had a bit of a tantrum if not for Ness at that point. Um, and I think she had decided, and I did, a, you know, that little live video when we got to our campsite and I said how she had, you know, sometimes you have to be strong for somebody else before you can be strong, so that you can be strong for yourself. And and that was her in that moment. She she stood, she she stepped up and she took control and she um, she talked, as much as she talked me through it, she talked herself through it mm. well um, because she was pretty close to to having a tantrum over it as well. Um, and I think perhaps if Ness had had the emotional kind of response to it that I had had when I was looking at, you know, I just kept thinking to myself, you know, I find this difficult. Imagine, and it was all because of this autism thing, like it was, you know, <laughs> this whole we want you to experience what it's like to have, you know, to be overwhelmed or to be anxious and stressed and, you know, to find things difficult and confronting. Like that is that is the glimpse into the world of a person living with autism that we can offer you and this is we want you to feel this way. And I just kept thinking about my boys and I just kept and I, I couldn't see past that. Mm. And I think if Ness had had that kind of emotional connection that to it that I had that we probably both would have both been in the same boat. Yeah. And so it was just lucky for me that that she doesn't and she was able to sort of just keep processing and keep problem solving and, you know, keep on with, whereas I was just stuck in this spot of, you know, of, of tr- this overwhelming sense of empathy for my for my boys and, and what they go through every day, and it was um, and I think as well on the crosscut saw we were we were both pretty sick of it at that point. <laughs> we were both pretty um, frustrated, I think, more than anything at that point. So I don't know that it, we were feeling low, but. It was just so incredibly frustrating and never-ending that it was just that got us down, yeah. I think. Um, it certainly tested our mental strength and, you know, our reserves to and our resolve to finish it. But also very loud and clear in your mind is the fact that you, you have no choice unless you're injured. The only way off that is to keep moving forward or turn around and go back that way 20k. Which is so, so much worse. <laughs> Just as soul destroying as having to, you know, it's only the, the way forward was only slightly more tempting than the way backwards. <laughs> so, um, so I don't think, I think we sort of managed to, yeah, we managed to balance it out between the two of us pretty well. So, yeah. 
But I don't think either of us ever got really super duper down about things. It was, you know, there was a few times there where the negative chatter would start and Ness would be like, oh, not not out loud chatter, she, but she would be, she'd, she'd sort of recognise it within herself and she'd say, hang on, I've just got to eat something. You know, I'm getting a bit down and dark on the world. You know, the negative voices are starting. I've just got to eat something. And I think for the most part we did a pretty good job of keeping an eye on each other for that kind of thing. It's just such a long time domain for that kind of stuff to happen because it's just a lot easier when it's like when it's a much shorter time domain, it's easier to stay focused and go, well, I've only got this much further to go and then I'm done. So, yeah. but, you know, like maintaining your focus over two days mm. is very different. Yeah, it was certainly challenging from that point of view. And because you get so – and it's really easy to get get an inward focus because it's, you know, um, and especially when it's hard and it's technical and you're trying to concentrate and you can't talk and chat and distract each other because you actually both need to concentrate really, really hard. So to remember to check in with each other constantly to the point of it even feeling like you're being a really annoying person, but, you know, but it's your job to yeah. check in with the teammate because you are only as strong as the other person in that kind of scenario. So it was um, – and I guess it gave you the opportunity to focus on something other than yourself as well. I don't know how, the, yeah, it, it, it blows my mind to, I can't even fathom doing that event by myself. Like it's such, it's, it's so good that it is a team event because um, because I think they would have a, a high DNF rate if it was mm. if it was a solo event for people to just complete by themselves in their own time sort of. You know, same time frames, whatever, people hiking and, and whatnot, but I think the team side of it makes it um, much more doable for people. I don't know how I, yeah, I I don't know if I would have been able to do it if I'd been by myself, to be honest. Mm. So would I have been able to continue to push myself the whole time? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I'm doing UTA 100. <laughs> I was going to say, what about that experience has inspired you to sign up for UTA? Lots of things, actually. Um, <laughs> um, mental evaluation, psychiatric evaluation coming soon. No, the um, um, because it is so different in that it's a two-day event and there's yes. this forced layover, so I want to know what it feels like to do a continued effort to go from start to finish, stopping at aid stations for food and water and whatever, but to none of this have to stop here for 12 hours and sleep, yeah. you know, as much as you can or whatever, and then to get up and do it the next day. So, um, so I wanted to know what it's like to do that. Um, I wanted to – I need to know that they're not all the same as Oscars. I need, I need to know. <laughs> it's, I need to know that they're not all that bad, like that they're all not, they're not that bad, that they're not all that hard yeah. and that what it feels like to do it without the emotional attachment 
to the cause behind it. Yeah. Um, and I need to know that I can do it by myself. So um, doing it with with Ness was amazing, and I wouldn't change that for the world. But um, but it was very, I guess, in a way that was a safety net for myself mm. for the first one. Um, and I recognise that in myself um, that I didn't trust myself to finish doing it by myself. So doing it with a team member, with somebody who I know has done 100K before gives me, you know, it, I guess I, it felt that I could draw on her strength when I needed to. So now I need to know whether or not I can do it on my own. And not that you ever do these things completely on your own because there's always people you come across there's always, you know, you might have a support crew or you might team up with somebody and, you know, in the last half of an event or you come across somebody who's struggling and you end up moving together or you're struggling and you latch onto somebody else. I guess there's never, it's never a case of do it alone. Mm. But um, to do it as a solo participant, I guess, is the best way to describe it. I need to know that I can motivate myself and dig myself out of holes when I have to and that I can push myself to those places of discomfort and push through that and separate myself from that and keep going, I guess. It seems like a... Uh, it seems like a long... You know, it seems like an extreme way of learning things about yourself. Um, but some of us need extreme ways. <laughs> and I, mean, I think also, like, when I thought about you guys doing it as a team, I thought, oh, that, you know, like, that is going to be a great experience. But I also thought, like, if I was doing something like that, personally, knowing the personality that I have, I would probably also be expending more energy on kind of like maintaining myself for yes. the other person as well. And so you're obviously you're drawing strength from that, but it is also there is an element of there's more work because there's because you are a team. And so you're having yeah. to put work into that team as opposed to solo a thing solo things where you can yeah. just hundred percent focus on yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can be and you know there was you know, there was feelings like every now and again I'd be like, oh, geez, it's quiet. Maybe I think, what can we talk about, you know, sort of thing. And then, but also, um, and Ness and I were joking that on the Thursday afternoon we met up at Albury and drove down from Albury down to Manchester, down to Mount Buller together. And we chat, 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 you know, a million miles an hour. We've got so many things to talk about. And we're like, we really should have saved some of this for tomorrow. <laughs> Because we're going to be on the top of some mountain somewhere and we're going to be like, we need to talk about something. And it was – but I think – and, look, it's, it's even more interesting, I guess, given that Ness and I live nowhere near each other. You know, she's four-hour drive away. We didn't train together. We um, um, – uh, you know, we, we have similar training methods, I think, because Ness worked with the same coach that I'm with um, for about four months, so she knows – you know, she's maintained that style of training. 
Um, so it's not like one of us is doing one thing and the other one is doing something else. But um, it was – it's like in high school or university or something when you do group work. And group work is like the bane of university <laughs> assessment, isn't it? Seriously, because it doesn't matter how much effort you put in yourself, you are only as good as the team. And I guess putting trust in – like I knew Ness is – I know Ness is a strong runner. She's a strong ultra runner. She's got heart of, you know, she's got determination. She's got an incredible, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't give up easily. Um, she's, um, and I know she's committed, but putting, you know, but I guess from my point of view, I was determined not to be the weakest link in the chain. And that kept, kept me and my training on track and, and on, you know, focused. Um, not that I really need motivation to get out and do my runs or anything like that. It's, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I don't ever struggle with that kind of thing, you know. So um, it, it's almost the opposite. But, um, but asking myself during my runs, am I putting in the effort that I'm needing to put in, you know, am I doing everything that I can while I'm out on this run to make sure that I get prepared the best, you know, that I prepare myself the best for what's coming. And I think, um, and yeah, there was, there was times where you sort of think, Oh, it's really quiet around here. Maybe we should talk about something and, and all this sort of thing. But then I, you know, I'd sort of check in and I'd say, are you okay? Do you want to chat? Do you want to, you know, should we tell bad jokes or, um, do you want to, are you, is this silence comfortable? Or, you know, do you want to talk about something? Because we can talk about it. We can make shit up to talk about That's yeah. fine. But, um, and I think we're sort of probably both honest enough with each other that we could say, no, nah, I'm happy. Shut up. You know, yeah. just don't, you know, it was, um, and we don't know each other really super duper. You know, it's not like we're best friends and we've been running together for ages or anything. God, we only met each other for the first time in real life two years ago at UTA for the first time. But I guess having crewed for Ness um, once uh, for her first 100 um, and um, spending last, last year spending the weekend with her for the Australian Alpine Ascent that we did together, We've seen each other pre-race. We've seen each other post-race. I've seen each. I've seen her when she's 80 k's into 100 k's and she's hurt real bad, or you know, she's and she's heard my bad jokes and you know, it's um, I don't know. And I think because of what we have in our you know in our run club community, there we've got we don't have to worry about the small talk about getting to know people. It's mm-hmm. like we love running. We both love running. Um, we both love talking about running. Um, <laughs> let's go running. <laughs> we don't. We we've sort of. You, I don't know. It, it cuts away a lot of that peripheral sort of stuff that you know we don't. Um, we've become better friends in two years than maybe people come in five or six or seven years. Mm. So it's um and I, and we've said to each other at the end of it. I said we could do anything to each other now. We're stuck together. We have literally, we've got Oscars and that is, we've been through that together. It's like a, it's almost like a PTSD. And I don't mean to, I don't intend to make light of 
mental illness or, you know, post-traumatic stress or anything, but we went through that together and we helped each other through that. And nobody else knows except us and the other people who have done that event just what we battled through Mm. in ourselves to get that shit done because it was quite literally the hardest thing I've ever done. I would have another baby over you know, like that. At first two weeks out, I was like, I would rather have, I would rather go through labour again than do that. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've never done anything where I've said to myself. Yeah, how many times have you been things where you, where you would choose labour over the event that you would do? It was just, like she was. We were both ready to burn out, burn all our gear. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, and I just think. God, that was hard enough in perfect weather conditions. We literally had perfect weather conditions. I had dread to think what it would have been like. It fills me with fear and dread to think doing that in the rain or the snow or I don't know what. Like, well, it would be. Those rocks would be super slippery. It's just like, like, that would just be. You know, I don't know that, yeah, it would just, yeah, I'd be getting my, I'd, I'd have to take a, you know, a plastic thing to slide down to get down a muesli spur or something. I don't know. It would just wear spikes in my shoe or something. And it's that's the thing that stops me from hurrying to go back next year is Russian roulette with the weather. You never know. It's, you know, it's the mountains. It could do anything. Yeah. And it was difficult enough um, to do it in perfect perfect conditions um, versus doing it in inclement weather. And I think, and that comes with experience, you know, having the confidence to be able to do that sort of stuff when it is shitty yeah. weather. But it's, um, yeah, it was, um, and, and, it, and you know, it, I keep having to remind myself and, and part of recovery, you know, part of my recovery is that as well, is to remind myself that this was my first 100K event. It's going to take me longer to recover from this event, then it's going to take other people who have done longer ultras yeah. before, you know, it always takes you longer. You, you know, that first 10K race that you did, it's going to take you longer to recover from that than any other subsequent 10K races, you know, even. Even, even, even the training, race. training is different. Like I found that like with the first marathon, like appetite was insane. And I was just tired all the time. And I basically, towards the end, turned it into, like, a sleeping eating machine who occasionally yeah. went for runs. And yeah. um, and then so when I did train for the next one, I was kind of – I was all sort of, like, mentally prepared for it. I'm like, right, this is going to be really exhausting and, you know, like I'm going to need to sort of, like, meal prep – all the time just to yeah. sort of like keep up with the food and then I got into it and I'm like yeah no now I'm fine because <laughs> you know I'm like okay now. you just yeah it's just such a shock to the system yeah. the first time and you know and the recovery also afterwards it's just you know it's sort of like even when I first started doing like uh long runs for half training like I'd run 20Ks and then, like, I'd come home and sleep. Yeah. And now, 
Like I run 20Ks like three times a week before (laughs) breakfast and then like go and do then like I go to the gym. Like it's just, it's just completely, completely different. And I think that it's easy to sort of not exactly forget, but lose touch with like that progress because it is so incremental over, over time. Yeah. It's like when you see kids and you go, oh, you've grown. It's like, really? That kid hasn't grown for at least, you know. And you, but because you only see, when you're only evaluating it every now and again through either a training cycle or a race, you know, it's, it, um, and it's not till you, yeah, you do that next um, 20K training run and your body bounces back easier. Or, you know, you, you're even adding extra days to your running, whereas, you know, you first start and you're running three days a week and you're leaving days you know, rest days in between each run. And, you know, I remember being frightened to put two days together four years ago when I first started running. It's like, you know, putting two runs on consecutive days, it was like, oh, my God, like how am I, how's my body going to cope with that? And now, you know, sometimes when I'm not looking, it's like, oh, I just ran eight days in a row. I need a rest day. <laughs> no wonder that. Like, yeah, I mean, I remember, <laughs> like, cause it was such a struggle to start running that my favourite thing about going for a run in the beginning on the treadmill at the 24-hour gym was I am now at the point where I've got the longest amount of time before I've got to go for a run again. (laughs) It was like a full sort of like Pollyanna situation. I had to sort of talk myself into I'll go, but then it's like two days before I've got to go again. And... um, So, yeah, like it, and it's now it's like my rest days change a lot from week to week. So, I know, like, when I've got a rest yeah. day, and it's just like, yeah. could be running, might not be running, you know, like, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's just completely. And double up days as well. Like, I remember first introducing double up days into my routine than I expected. And I've probably, you know, the whole wisdom to debacle not helped <laughs> in the slightest but I feel like now that's behind me to an extent you know I'm off I'm off on my path uh, it's what it's been I don't know a month hasn't it mm. it's been a month since Austin's and my garment has finally got on board and I've been productive <laughs> finally four weeks and I had a run this morning where I actually thought to myself, I'm going to do two strides. I'm going to see. I want to run fast. I want to see what it feels like to run fast. Because there's not much about training for ultras that involves running fast. You know, it's um, certainly not as a baby ultra runner, as a beginner ultra runner. Um, there is, yeah, there's, no, there's not much about it's you know it's been about building time on feet and building up some kilometers in my weekly volume and um and things like that it's not been about go off and do some threshold sprint you know some threshold intervals or go and do some sprints or anything so I did some strides this morning and I was like my legs took a few goes to sort of feel like (laughs) hey hang on you know did we used to do this every now and again you know because it's been I reckon it's been it's been well over Oh, I reckon it'd be 18 months since I, yeah, maybe 15 months since I've done strides. And my legs were like, you sure about 
<laughs> you're feeling okay. But the second lot of strides I did, my legs started to wake up and it started to feel like something I could do. And your next thing, like obviously UTA is happening, but your next thing is Canberra? Yes. <laughs> little yes. short jog. Um, just going to go for a little, um, just a little training run. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, we're gonna, going to do the half marathon. Um, and uh, you'll be doing your half marathon a lot faster than I'll be doing my half marathon <laughs> in Canberra. Um, but it's my birthday that day, and uh, and I thought, what better way than not running a marathon on my birthday? <laughs> so I'm going to do a half marathon on my 42nd birthday and do 500 meters for every year of my life. So um, I didn't. <laughs> Uh, quite honestly, the thought of running the marathon in Canberra doesn't really thrill me. Um, it's a really fast field, yeah. Um, and I've heard report, I've heard previous people's experiences that um, that as a five and a half hour marathoner, that you will they will be packing up by the time you finish, which is really demotivating for me. So um, yeah, and it is in like I have a problem like with like this is sort of happened to people I think in Wangaratta and yeah. on the Gold Coast I believe in the past yeah like I think that if you've got like this is the cutoff time then packing up before the cutoff time is inappropriate I agree you know like if you want a shorter cutoff time make a shorter cutoff time because you're yeah. basically you're taking money from people and they're not yeah. Provide it holding up your end of the deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, as a service provision, it, you're, you're letting down your end of the, the bargain, aren't you? And it's, yeah. um, and it, yeah, it's incredibly demotivating to be, um, to think that actually you fall within the, within the cutoff times, yeah. but you've got, you've got the sweet bus behind you, you know, yeah. even though you've got a half hour you know, or you, you're an hour before cutoff or whatever. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's, I just, it doesn't, encourage me to participate and yeah. it sure as hell wouldn't encourage a lot of other people to participate so um you know we I would have thought that we've moved past the marathons are for elite runners and yeah. you know if anything over a four hour or four and a half hour marathon is a is a slow effort I think you know it, running now is more about inclusion and and, and participation um and lots more people these days are Running marathons. Yeah. Most of us, yeah, a lot of doing it a lot slower than, than, than others. And, um, yeah, and unfortunately it's um, – uh, I guess there's few few marathon courses out there that really do showcase the city as well as it could. But I find, you know, given how familiar I am with Canberra, that there's an awful lot of time spent on roads that um, there's nothing to look at. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, – um, yeah, it can be if you're at the back of the pack, even though you're well within cutoff times. If you're at the back of the pack and you're out there by yourself, it can be really um, demotivating and um, and really be a struggle mentally to get the job done. So and it's a, it's, um, a, it's a long recovery time for something that's not like a specific goal. Like it's one yeah. thing if you said like this is you know this is going to be one of my marathons for the year and you've got 
you know you've sort of trained for that but if it's just forming like part of like something you're doing for fun or just like part of your training for other things it's a big road bump absolutely you know because whereas with the half even even if something that's a high effort for you yeah your recovery times just a lot quicker absolutely and I'm yeah and I know that a half marathon on that day means that um, that I can still, two day, you know, the next day or two days later, I'll be running again. It's yeah. okay, you know, and it's it is it's my birthday. I don't want to. I probably I want will not be running again two days later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and only a month later, I've got UTA. So yeah. you know, it's, yeah. um, it's you know, it's less than a month away now to um, the Australian Running, running Festival, um, and so you know, what we're three weeks. Three weeks away yeah, today. I've just been looking at because um, my um, my coach for personal training said, "What do you want to do with strength training? Like, if you've got yep. this race coming up, like, what's ideal? What have you done in the past?" I said, I "Actually, can't remember." And I know, like, from the research, what I'm what is the recommendation, which is yeah, uh, for a half would be sort of like ten days to two weeks before you stop strength training. Yeah. Um, and but I have experimented a lot with sort of different things because obviously everyone's body responds differently and I've certainly like kept going for too long but I've also certainly stopped too early yeah I've stopped too early as well and and then ended up lethargic and I'm like there's got to be a sweet spot so I went in and looked at not um like yes like my fastest one but also the ones that felt the best like, yeah, there were certainly ones that were quick, but I didn't feel great for the yep. run. Um, and I went and I looked, and it was me stopping strength training ten days before. Yeah, but going to CrossFit on the Monday. Yeah, I'm not going to be doing anything crazy like hang snatches or anything <laughs> that's going to be loading up my hamstrings because yeah. I might need them later. You might need them, and yeah, yeah. but a little bit of intensity on that Monday seems to make me feel better for the Sunday rather than having like this long <laughs> stretch of not doing what my yeah. body's used to doing. And also it probably, when I don't do that, it can like open the window for my excellent track record of getting sick. Yes. <laughs> yes. Taper. You do need to, need to keep that little secret to yourself that you're going to do a race, that you're going to race that and just Although, don't, um, don't your body on, in on the secret. <laughs> I haven't, um, and it, it would probably be more amusing to me than anything else if I did get sick before Canberra because I haven't actually had a cold yeah. in like nine months. Yeah. On a streak. Unfortunately, like I've been taking like a um, like a greens and vitamin supplement as part of my anti-cold defense yeah. system and they've had a break in their supply chain with a whole bunch of their oh, packages <laughs> And so, like, I'm out and it hasn't quite arrived yet. And they sent me an email saying, we're sending an express. We're really sorry. And I'm like, get it here. <laughs> it's on a knife edge here. Don't you understand? <laughs> Got to keep everything exactly the same or it's going to go pear-shaped. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everything depends on me getting that. You, get, you do build in habits, don't you? And you get a little bit superstitious sometimes about... Um, 
about the, the things that you, you know, this is working, so this it must be, uh, you know, one plus one equals two kind of thing. So it's a combination of the supplement and my sleep and my this and my that, and I've been really, really well. Don't change anything. <laughs> Don't mess with Yeah, and it is kind of, it is, I can also feel that there have been times where, like, I've been close to getting a cold and I've just kind of fought it off, and it's just that kind of, like, drop in training volume that's just the kind of thing that could set off that chain reaction but the good thing about this time of year is that there are loads of races on offer so say for example if something like that happened I know that you know like a couple of weeks later there's a Gold Coast half and you know whatever else so you and half as well isn't there that's yeah like it's not like it's not like it can get be a bit more stressful at the end of the year where you're like this is the last thing before if I don't race Melbourne I'm done till April yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can obviously do something at any time, but it's more fun when you get <laughs> more fun doing it elsewhere, you know, like with people handing you water. And, yeah, you know, I think so too. Um, and, and it's you just get you, that adrenaline from a crowd that you Yeah, don't. you never run as well as you do like when there are people around you Absolutely. and you see other people who are also in the pain cave and you just yeah, yeah we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you just can just can feed off the atmosphere so much more. So I agree. And the anticipation, the build up, the um, you know, getting the, the pre race nerves and jitters and you can channel that sort of stuff into a really positive place and um, and have that fuel, you know, fuel you for, for the first sort of, you know, 5 or 10K, which is in a half marathon, then, yeah, you just, you're halfway done by the time yeah. that wears off. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you've only got to get yourself through another 10K and you're, and you're home and hosed. So, yeah, um, exactly. but no, it's going to be awesome to see you in person and we'll be able to have a catch up and um, and hopefully we'll catch up with some people, uh, some other op movers yeah. in camp as well so um and it's always lovely to have you know be able to sit around and drink coffee and have a laugh and and um spend time with people in real life these little these people who live in my phone (laughs) my facebook group yeah and my um my mum will be there which i don't think Mm. she's ever come to a race before but her boyfriend lives in canberra so i'm gonna stay with them yep um and um, so yeah, so that'll so that'll be be nice. Get some nice home cooked meal before I. That'll be. <laughs> and a few donuts. I have to get some donuts. I think you. I think I owe you some donuts. <laughs> I'm sure we owe a few. We need some. I think that was why we were going to do it. You know, you're coming down for it, so we could have a bit of a. Um, we could have a little coaches little powwow and do an event together. Well, yeah. Not together. But, you know, the same event at the um, the same weekend. So yeah, um, yeah. Because it's not. Um, last year, and you were injured, so it was yeah. the last time we caught up. Yeah, I think. exactly. Because I know UTA, UTA. Yeah, mm. which, where I was. You were still, still not there. running, but also like seeing people after they came back from fifty k's, I wasn't overly disappointed about not running. <laughs> You did. You were running a little bit, weren't you? But you were. Yeah, not. yeah. I was. I was sort of rehab running, so I wasn't. Um, 
doing much more than like I was doing sort of sprints but not sort of like lots of continuous running yeah. it was deeply confusing for the ultra running community and yes. about when I'm out to do my sprints it's like what is she doing doing <laughs> I would have been talking about you at the coffee van did you see that she was running really fast but not for very long and she just <laughs> she just stopped and walked what about you what are those shoes? I heard they look like trail shoes. She wears a hydration pack. Oh, she's not. <laughs> but, uh, yes, you would have been, uh, you would have felt very out of place in Katuba UTA last year. <laughs> Your runningness and <laughs> sprints and intervals and things like that. It's, um, yeah. yeah it... <laughs> but it's nice to be able to do that because I think the last year we were in, year before last we were in Melbourne um and I did a marathon and you did the half and we you know it's just so lovely to have those opportunities to come together as a community yeah, that is, it is primarily based online and yeah there's little enclaves of us you know the cult <laughs> little enclaves <laughs> of us in different cities and towns and things but um but it's just you know it's, it's I guess it brings home to me one of the motivations that I have for doing events which is the social side of it one of the things that means, you know, that, that fills my cup is, and, and you're the same, I'm sure, that, that, that that's um, an event where your community comes together in person and gets just as much joy out of each other's company as we do, you know, in real life as we do online. Um, and it just goes to show the, the, um, um, the integrity and the authenticity of the people in the group. It's, um, it's really lovely to to be a part of yeah I mean it's so nice to be back like in season as it were <laughs> because it's like the off season is so long you know like you got to go from like October to April not no. see any of your people and there's you know it's so hot it's so hot and all you want to do is complain about how hot it is and you know and come winter you know you the running's easier you've got more your appetite comes back and <laughs> And you feel like eating and, you know, it's just, yeah, you don't feel like you need to live in an ice bath all the time. You'll get it. Yeah, you're going to be surprised, I think, with the temperature difference <laughs> between, yeah, the north of New South Wales and, and, and Canberra. So, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I have concerns because I remember doing the half at Gaul one year and I could not feel my feet for the first five <laughs> kilometres and like, it's not good. I, uh, uh, that's, that's a, yeah. a worry. So, yeah, like um, you need me to sort of like run something hard in 30-degree heat. I'm good. Um, but, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like as much as I would like it to be colder, it, yeah, it's going to be a, uh, a shock to the yeah. system. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to need one of those dunas. At the start line. Lucky, you, if, you, if your mum's coming along, is she coming to the start line? She'll be able to hold you She down probably there. will. She probably yeah. will. Um, so you won't put your check your gear into the gear check. You've got to check it in sort of 20 minutes, half an hour before the start of the race. So if you've got mum there, she can be jacket, cheap jacket holder. And, uh, <laughs> she can... On the outside, <laughs> I can make use of all of my winter running stuff, which probably doesn't get as much use as it possibly should. So, and it's 50 years over about 10 years <laughs> yeah get some of those base layers happening yeah. but it does hopefully it's a nice weekend for it because um last year the weather was pretty terrible it was um um 
windy and cold and the year before it was torrential rain for them. It wasn't so bad for the half marathon, but the full marathon has got just a deluge of water. It was crazy. And it was freezing. The year before it was beautiful. It was just a gorgeous Canberra autumn morning and it was, I think, it was probably about six or seven degrees to start with. And by the end of, you know, by lunchtime it was 20-something degrees and mm. it was just perfect, perfect for running. It was just beautiful. So hopefully. I haven't started the, the weather stalking stage of the yeah, insanity <laughs> Well, considering what we're three weeks away and it's 24 degrees today um, and it was 15 degrees this morning at half past five, um, autumn's drunk gone home so don't bother no. <laughs> i wouldn't make any guarantees about i wouldn't i wouldn't presume to just you know to know what the weather's going to do in three weeks time who knows but we'll be we'll <laughs> i just it'd be nice if it didn't rain or if it wasn't super windy because it is quite an open um yeah uh, the wind can you know certainly make things a bit more oh. spicy, but yeah. having having sort of done that run with the um, after what was that like Omar or whatever it was anyway, there was like fifty kilometer winds on one of my runs, and it's like, well, it's probably not going to be that bad. At I start, think yeah, but you know yeah, hopefully yeah. If it was in, if it was spring, it would be a different matter. But yeah, autumn's actually a pretty good time in Canberra to have um, have these kind of events. Although you know, it's my birthday and it'll probably rain. So I'm sorry. Apologies now. <laughs> <laughs> Always does. But it's um yeah, I think um you know it's it's going to be the first time I've sort of done an event on my birthday. So it'll be um interesting to to see how. It, how it all pans out and um, what the family think of it too. I think, you know, there's sort of um, the kids would be a bit like, oh, well, hang on, Mum, what are you, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and the, uh, the new, um, yeah, new habits of going out and doing things like that, that that they're just not used to. So it's um, I try and avoid doing events on their birthdays. <laughs> But yeah. there's no rules about what I do on my birthday now. So Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I haven't been down to Canberra before because the girls' birthdays are in that um, mm. week. So they're on the eighth mm. and the tenth. Mm. Um and but on my birthday or around my birthday there's usually the Lismore run, so they're sort of used to me going down and um and doing that, and I'm like, yeah, I'll see you, I'll see you at midday. See you at lunchtime. <laughs> see you at lunchtime where I may be in need of a nap, but, you know, it's all good. It's okay, it's your birthday, you can nap. It's not much different to working on your birthday, I guess, you know. I've been, had to had to work many a day on my on my birthday, so that's not a problem. But the um, this will be infinitely more fun than going to work. <laughs> infinitely. <laughs> and a whole lot more food involved, hopefully. Yes. A lot more food, a lot more coffee. All the coffee. No, it's going to be awesome. But there, yeah, it's sort of, um, it's funny, and I did this last year as well. I did, I had my first half of my year all planned out and I had my events and da-da-da, and then after UTA I just sort of stopped. Like, no, not the running stopped, but 
the inspiration for the next events yes. are sort of slow in coming and um, and I think it sort of showed um, the level of fatigue that had built up mm. over doing two 50Ks in, you know, my first two 50Ks in, three, in a three-month period um, and, you know, that maintaining that training and the focus, you know, the energy that you put into planning and, um, and everything, it was, yeah, sort of the same this year. Next year I'm going to have to break the cycle. I'm going to, I'm going to change things up because it's, I feel like I'm repeating my behaviours a little bit that, you know, that, that doing 100K in February and then following it up with 100K in May. And then I've sort of, yeah, I haven't really got any plans yet, firm plans yet for the second half of the year. So it's a little bit, um, um, I think part of it is a, I need to allow for the rest that's yeah. going to need to happen. Um, you know, I'm going to need a good sort of four to six week recovery after um, UTA, I think. Yeah. Given that my recovery post-Oscars is not going to be complete. Yeah. I've got another week of easy running and then I'm back into training. So, um, and then I've sort of got six weeks of training before I taper for UTA. So, um, it's going to be a, you know, there's going to be an increase in volume over the next sort of six or seven weeks. Back to, it's not going to be a full-blown, obviously not a dedicated training block but I'll be building on what fitness gains I've yeah. made over this um training for Oscars and and doing Oscars so hopefully the body's going to be willing <laughs> mind is <laughs> but yeah I just I just want to I don't know again and I've got I've got things that I want to do that I'm thinking that I want to do in the second half of the year but I just um I don't want to pin anything down until I see what Oscars, and not Oscars, UTA has to offer and what that delivers. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes you, I think that you need that. Like I think it was, I forget what year it was, but was going to say, I think it was 2014 when I ran the Gold Coast and it was just, I attempted to do something that I really think was overreaching my level of fitness, but I still did it, which is a testament yeah. to like what you can do when you sort of set your mind to something. But it was so brutally hard mm. that it was almost like mentally I didn't want to go there and physically yeah. my body didn't want a red line like that. And so yeah. I was really sort of like quite gun shy Yes. Of like a fast half after that. And I yeah. went like that was sort of in lead up to a marathon. And then I went into, so maybe it was, maybe it was later, maybe it was 2015. But anyway, I went into probably about 18 months after that where I just didn't have it in me to race anything. It was just like mentally just yes. did not yeah. have the capacity for it. And my body just didn't want to go into that kind of place. And I almost needed all of that time to then feel mm. like fresh enough and ready yeah. and excited about doing something. And then when I did um, Melbourne at the end of uh, 2017, I guess it was, that was a completely different race. Like that... It, like it felt hard in the last three k's 
Yeah. And, you know, like there are obviously aspects of it that are hard about running that fast, but I basically felt good the whole way. And I just sort of like got to the last three Ks and going like, okay, I can't, cannot speed up from here, but I can maintain this pace. Yeah. Completely different experience. Yeah. So I finished that more excited about training and, you know, like whatever the next thing would be. And I think sometimes you need not to replace sort of an experience with a positive one, but to have a different one to kind of go, okay, like not everything has to be like that really, really awfully hard thing that I did. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. And just it shows you that that, that it's not going to be the same every time. You know, it's not – It's yeah, and because, you know, the half is such a great distance as far as, you know, how many a year you want to run or, you know, it can be something – it's not – yeah, you know, if you're racing them and you're making them A races and then, yeah, you want to periodise your training and all that sort of stuff. But you could run a half marathon every other week, you know, two a month kind of thing and and, and just that could be part of your normal training cycle. That's, um, you know, um, it's not something that you, you know, unless you've raced it and you want to, and then you're having a dedicated recovery period. You, you could you could run a half marathon every other weekend. I mean, you do your long runs on the weekend. You'd be running half marathon distance most weekends, if not more. Yeah, um, usually, long like run. I would probably do half marathon distance or around that. I would say, like, probably three times a week, depending on the yeah. Week. Sometimes it'd be a couple times a week. Sometimes three times a week, and. And, you know, like, and that's sort of like the benefit of that specific distance is it's not like um, is that you, you're not sort of like having any sort of like risk of injury because everything's under three hours. Yeah. You know, um, and a lot of that is so, and the way they're structured is like, okay, like there's 5K of warm up, there's 3K of cool down. And so the oftentimes the actual, like quality part of the session is mm. like 10Ks sometimes yeah. it's longer and sometimes and so like probably I need more recovery like when I do like the progression runs because that's like 25Ks of work as opposed yeah. to sort of like the more interval stuff where there's work but oh, there's – And like, there's work rest periods, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love a good rest period. <laughs> <laughs> so I've my session and yeah. it's got rest in it and I'm like, yes. Mm. Yeah. That is good news. The old standing rest, it's kind of nice, isn't it? Yeah. I remember one of the fav- my favourite runs that I ever did was a, um interval thing, and I think it was two 5K. Like I had a warm-up and then two 5K um, rest, uh, two 5K intervals, and I had like a five-minute rest, standing rest in the middle of them, and it was it's like starting a whole new run after you've had a rest for five minutes. It was really, I think my second 5K was faster than that first 5K or, you know, on par. It wasn't slower like I had expected it to be. And it was just, yeah, I remember thinking to myself, this is the bee's knees. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And yet my run this morning of not quite 5K, you'd be thinking, God, I can't even imagine being able to run like that anymore. But that's that's me at the you know, where I'm at in my recovery at the moment and in my, you know, training cycle and I, it's, 
it's so oh god yeah it's trying it's weird though because like i'll do like one of my quality sessions that i probably average you know like around like five minute pace and you know and that will feel like hard work but it will feel good you know um i won't necessarily feel like i'm fighting for that pace it'll just you know be what it is and then i will tend to have like a recovery run not the run the day after but like the recovery run sort of two days after that where like I couldn't really like get above a seven minute pace if I tried and it can kind of like it's it's weird how it happens because it can kind of like if you let it it can kind of psych you out a bit you know you're like because then the way my cycle goes the next day I've got like a quality session and I'm this does not feel good. Like, how am I going to get it together for that? But then I always feel good the next day, and that part of it is just your body. Like, your body knows. It's like, yep, yeah, this is absolutely. our pace today. Yeah, and not pushing it when you don't have a. And I guess it, it yeah highlights the importance of um, doing when you've got an easy run. Make sure it's easy. Yeah, I mean, I had every run. That's your that's your opportunity for your body to rest and recover. I was listening to a podcast where they were sort of um, talking to a running coach and they asked, they were asking her, like, what should your pace be, you know, for easy runs? And she gave, like, a thing about, like, this much slower than your marathon pace. And most of the stuff that she was talking about, I would 100% agree with that. And then she got to that and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> with that because like I was thinking but I had to convert the miles because she's talking in mile yeah. pace and you're like what does that equal and yeah. like based on her recommendation is that the slowest I would run um, my easy runs would be like six minute pace and I'm like oh, okay. yeah like I could run that but yeah. it would be like most of my easy stuff would you know like as the quality stuff has gotten more intense my easy stuff has slowed down so if I'm just doing easy runs yeah that probably would be quicker than that but because I have that level of fatigue from those big sessions they're much more likely to be like 630 650 pace you know like sometimes I'll have those seven minute pace runs and you know um yeah like and I think it also depends on like how you train. Like I tend to do better with like a run slower during training and then there's more for races. Whereas yeah. some people would probably feel lethargic from running their easy runs that slow. So I, I do think it's so good to sort of just learn like how know. it should feel. You know, mm. like not like I know how an easy run should feel for me, yeah. and yeah. you know, like I know it should feel like I'm not aware that I'm running. <laughs> that's yeah. that that's the yeah. feel, feeling I yeah. go for. You and know, you like, should be rested and recover. You know, you don't you shouldn't be feeling tired after your easy run. It's you know, but yeah. it's and you get caught up in pace and you think, well, six minutes thirty is my easy pace, so I should be running at six minutes thirty. And even if six minutes thirty feels hard. I'll run at 6.30 because yeah. that's easy pace. And you can't, um, you know, that, that algorithm that's that's landed you at that pace for your easy runs doesn't accommodate for 
a lack of, you know, decent sleep and it doesn't accommodate for, um, you know, kids with kid dramas or, you know, all the external stresses in your life, it doesn't, you know, that all all counts to how your run's going to feel. It doesn't um, doesn't account for that sort of stuff. So you, you have to step away from that, I think, sometimes and just run to feel and getting to know how your body feels at certain speeds is, is a really important lesson, I think, you know. Yeah, and, I, I like, I use it in the quality sessions too. Like, I know, like, if I do my easy warm-up and it's sort of, like, sitting more at, like, six-minute pace, I'm like, well, today is a really good day to yeah. push the pace because I'm feeling yeah. good, body's feeling good. And on other days, if it's more like my easy run warm-up portion is like 6.45, I'm like, okay, like I probably don't have a lot in the tank today, yeah. so I'm just going to go for something conservative and, you know, and hope for the best. And it does sort of like help to sort of like frame, you know, like what is what is easy for today. And um, so, yeah, like it's probably less of a thing in in trail running, but I think it's really easy to get into like locked into sort of like sense of paces when you're like when you're road running and everything's like too measurable. I think so. And I think that was one of the things, um, yeah. And I look, I like, I still do a lot of my running on road. Like, I, you know, I don't have easy front of door yes. access to, to trails. And with four kids, sometimes it, it might be weeks in between getting on some dirt for a run. So, um, and, you know, in base training cycles of my training, I do, um, you know, some faster running and threshold stuff and, um, progression runs and things like that and, and on the road it's 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 easier to do those sorts of runs on the road because everything is so measurable um but um yeah if you were um doing them on the trail it would yeah be you'd, you'd just be relying on feel and and you know your overall pace per kilometer taking into account the amount of elevation gain and things like that and i think um you know for what from my, for what it's worth, from my opinion anyway, and from my experience, that those are the sort of the runs that I, um, I would choose to do those on road, even if I had a choice between trail and road. I think that, uh, but they're there for a specific purpose. Yeah, runs they 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 serve a purpose for your training, um, and to to do them to meet the paces that you're supposed to be hitting. Um, that, you know, that if road is where that happens, then do it on the road. You know, you, you can build your technical skills on the trail other times. You know, those those sessions are, are, are there to build speed and endurance and, you know, at certain speeds and, um, you know, they will benefit your trail running from a cardiovascular point of view and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's, um, you know, they have a they have a significance and purpose. So, you know, to do them the best way that you can is to, for me, is to do them on the road. So, yeah. um, but I actually really enjoy, really enjoy. I think because I don't do them very often, I yeah. really enjoy my travels. So, I always get really excited when I see a progression run on my on my plan. <laughs> Not quite so excited by threshold runs; they tend to hurt a little bit too much for my liking. But it's, um, but at the same time, it's nice to see. It's a nice. Uh, I use them as a benchmark. Yeah. Scenario, and you think, well, this was my. Threshold pace 
12 months ago, this is it now, and, you know, one might, one's slower than the other, and, but that just gives me an indication of where, you know, where I'm at and, um, and you know, forces me to sort of look at where my focus is at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's very interesting, all the different, the nuances just, um, yeah, <laughs> you talk about all day. <laughs> And love every minute of it. It's um yeah, because nobody else wants to talk about running all day like I, like we do. <laughs> my dentist, my dentist apologises because he he always asks me about running when I go in to see him, and um, he sort of uh, last time he I had asked a few questions, and then he kind of apologised. He said, "Oh, you know, like." Sorry to bombard you with questions, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I just love to talk on. about running. It's my favourite part of the day. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's wonderful. We, yeah, you can talk about my, my friend here who who um, uh, owns the, a coffee shop in town, and she she's a runner, and we talk about running every time I see her. And she's like, oh, I hope you don't mind talking about running. I always ask you about running, and you know, just no, but nobody else wants to talk about running, so I just need to talk about. I'm always, always happy to drink your coffee and to talk about running. Yes. <laughs> happy to oblige. Happy to help wherever I can. <laughs> it's always. I had to put up a memo on that. Look, also me about how my running's going at the when you're in a real person party <laughs> and, and sometimes like people ask you at their own you know at your own risk at your own peril once I start that's it <laughs> yeah stop. Every, every now and then I have to force myself to stop I'm going you're being very boring right now this is not a runner this is a normal person and you've no. spoken for too long <laughs> surely there's a way you can bring everything back to running surely has to be <laughs> has to be surely I mean and they say that you know the first rule of CrossFit is to tell everybody about CrossFit I think the first rule of running is to tell everybody about yeah people that. have that um that joke about uh veganism and CrossFitters too like if you are a vegan CrossFitter like what do you tell people first like, I don't know. how do you decide what you're talking about you no know. <laughs> yes anywho <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, we should get fed and yeah. or are you going swimming? No, I've run out of time for swimming. I've got time for a burrito now and that's it's pretty high up there. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to take one for the team and I'm going to um, I'm going to go and eat rather than swim. So, yeah, it'll be... Um, got to prioritise these things sometimes. And swimming is one of those things, like, you know, I know I'm sure you, yeah, you posted, you put up a post the other day about the same. It's one of those things, there's so many steps involved. It takes so much more time. It's like the motivation required for me to get, and I, I love, I love swimming, not as much as running. I love swimming. But getting into the pool from my car is literally the hardest thing in the world some days. Because it's not running, and there's yeah, yeah. and there's just it's. Touch. I think when you're just so used to being okay, like I'm going running, like I put on my running clothes, 
to get my, you know, get my Watch phone, stuff. get my key, walk out yeah. the door, go running, yeah. and then swimming. It's just like, oh god, you I know, like I gotta find the swimmers. I gotta find a towel. Where are my goggles? Then I've got to go and interact with a person at the swimming hey. pool, and then I've got to like go through like having that conversation with them where they say. I saw you running the other day, and I'm like, "Yep, you did." Um. Yeah, and then if there's people in the pool and they're swimming in lanes, and it's you know if there's you know we're a small town, there's only a small pool, and if there's people in all the lanes, it's like which lane do I get in? And I'll spend a few minutes thinking about assessing people's speed and relative to my own speed. Yes, like where is the oh. slowest possible lane that I can yep. get into? Because that is the one I need to be in so that I don't get continually lapped. Exactly. So there's, there's a whole lot more that goes into the thought process. And, um, yeah, it was – if I can do it straight after off in the morning or if I can meet a friend to do mm -hmm. it well, don't talk, obviously, because, you know, breathing underwater, not much chit-chat actually. But, um, but to make a day with somebody is – you know, it gets sometimes it's easy to go and do it, and other times it's incredibly difficult to make myself go. But you know what? It's an extra, it's an optional extra, it's a nice addition. The motivation is the fact that the pool will be closed to outdoor swimming in about a month's time, <laughs> and I'll lose the opportunity to swim in the 50 meter pool. So, but you know what? That's okay. Um, it's not, it's nice, but it's not essential. So, um, and I'm, you know, for running, I've got four runs this week, which is, and two gyms. So this is back to me. Next week is full programming. So if I cut myself some slack, I've been making peace with that over the last four weeks, maybe cutting my slack and not expecting too much. So just because I feel like I'm up to it, it doesn't necessarily mean that I should be doing it. Yeah, and it, it, it is one of the, like, I had that, I had a conversation with my coach because of the time difference. I often don't have the program on Monday, so I just text him and say, what well, do you want me to run today? You can tell me. And he said, uh, when I, he said, oh, either, you know, like a soft 10 or have a day off. And I knew after the preparation run that I would really be better off with the day off. And I was yeah. like, and I had like, all of this set up to do with sort of like new learn to run people starting and I was like, yeah, like day oh, wow. off is good. But the kind of the sort of anxiety I had about not running the 10 and taking the lesser option was like a real thing and I got to the afternoon and I'm like, you are a ridiculous human. Yeah, you know you that you needed the day off. Oh boy, how many pace did you run last week? Like 110 or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah like this is ridiculous. Yeah. You'll feel heaps better and yeah. this is fine. And sometimes yeah. you do okay. just have to talk and to yourself. A, and sometimes it's a constant lesson in how to embrace the rest day because the rest days are important. They're yeah. not punishment. They're not, um, you know, they're a really important part of your training program and that's, you know, the, the weekend leading up to learn to run starting is hardly relaxing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that first week is really full on. You know, these, these women pay for, expect and deserve a lot of support. And part of you being able to do that as well as your own running is having the rest day and giving yourself the, the, um, the grace to, to take that. And I think, um, you know, so many of us fight it. 
but then you know eventually you realize that it's part of the magic yeah. don't you and it's you know it's it's part of the equation you have to have it or there's just fatigue um can, you know you you start earning fatigue and compound interest and you have to take a rest day sooner or later i think so um so you know good on you <laughs> good on you for doing it and you're going to have a great week because of it hopefully so yeah yeah and the the sort of saving grace is that when he did put the program up he put it like as an off day not as a 10k day and I was like oh god so now I don't have to look at that as 10k that I didn't do do. yeah Yeah, absolutely absolutely yeah so but you know it's 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 like those weird sort of runners quirks like one of my workouts this week was like seven 1.6 kilometer repeats I'm like that's a weird number how is that that's like like I've done, you know, like four before. I've done five. I've done six. I've done eight. I've never done seven. Yeah, seven seems weird. And it's like, but you know, I got to the seventh, and I'm just glad it was seven and not eight. <laughs> <laughs> but eight's that lovely number. The um, yeah. <laughs> seven has no symmetry. I'm sorry, no. but you know, when the coach says, "Coach, yeah, what you got to do?" <laughs> seven been the perfect amount I'm sure I'm sure one more and you would have been cooked yeah well I, they I was listening to an interview with the um guy one of the guys who wrote peak performance and he was talking about the magic sort of number with running and with a lot of other things is always stopping what's known as like one rep short so always finishing feeling like you could do one more interval but not yeah. two more and so sort of similar with lifting weights like feeling like that was a really hard rep and I could do one more, but I couldn't do two more. And that's sort of like the magic of you sort of like pushing the boundaries, but not over fatiguing yourself. Have it be sustainable. Yep. Yeah. Because that next interval that you go to attempt or the next lift that you attempt, you might, you know, you you increase the risk of injury itself and um, fatiguing. And what's the point of doing that? Yeah, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to cut off your nose to spite your face, do you? So it's nice to be a fan. It does wonders for you to finish feeling strong rather than yeah. finish feeling like you didn't make that last interval or you didn't make that last lift um, to, to feel energised yeah. instead of makes a big difference. Exactly. Makes a difference. Yeah. Anyway, I'll let you go get food. Yeah. I need to get something to eat. It's so lovely. That's awesome to um, thank you for listening to my <laughs> my epic journey, <laughs> Ness and my epic journey. I'm almost a little bit dis- disappointed that she doesn't want to go back next year. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm a little bit relieved to be honest. <laughs> but I'll be um, yeah, I'm sure when it comes next year, I'll be feeling a little bit um, a little bit of FOMO for those people. They've almost they've sold out 50% of their team entries for next year already um, to, to pre-entries from this year's competitors for next year. So to have a 50% return rate for the competitors um, speaks volumes, volumes for the event, I think. But, um, but yeah, if anybody um, wants to know any more about the race or wants to know if they think that they should do it or think that they could do it, I'm more than happy to have chats with people if, um, if that's a question because I think um, – 
it's yeah <laughs> it's one of those things that it's not to be taken on lightly that's for sure um approach with caution you be prepared to have the time of your life like it was not I don't I wouldn't call it fun but it was amazing yes absolutely amazing um but yeah happy to happy to talk some more about it <laughs> anyway I'll talk to you later okay I'll see you later bye listening today and thanks to Kirsten for taking such a long amount of time to talk to me um, and hopefully you made it to the end of the episode even though I think it's like two and a half hours. Um, if you have any questions for her let me know. Uh, we are accepting Learn to Run registrations for the 22nd of April so you can jump on that if you're interested um, and you can always join uh, Kirsten in Run Club at any time and I'll put up the links for that as well as a link to her Instagram in the notes and I'll see you next time. Bye.